Please, Nicky. Uncle Dick is trying to read. Drop it. Duncan and Bob come correct. Hey, everyone. Uh, <laughs> I surprised myself with that opening. Um, it is Duncan and Bo go to Twin Peaksies, a name kind of crowdsourced in an odd way, uh, in which myself, uh, Bo Ransdell, and my my companion in crime, Duncan McLeish. That would be me. Uh, we take a spoiler-free look at the uh, the show entitled Twin Peaks. Um, so if you haven't, if you've been following the podcast as you're watching the shows, first of all, God bless you. Um, second of all, you won't be spoiled. Uh, if you're new to the show, you can, as long as you've seen the episodes, the only thing we're going to spoil is anything up to this point, uh, which we're starting with episode 12 of season two, uh, beginning the back nine of this show, Duncan, um, mm. uh, we are on the downhill slope. And yay. yay. So it's uh uh it's been a good time and we're gonna start <laughs> off <laughs> I love that I love the fact that you're just reinforcing that statement at the start. It, this has been a good time. Yes, this has been a good time. Uh, so we're going to start with a question. I solicited some questions from the Facebook groups. Uh, you can, of course, find Duncan at the podcast Under the Stairs over on Facebook and uh, me at Legion Podcasts uh, on Facebook as well. And uh, so threw up uh, just a quick note, like half an hour before the show started. And was like, hey, anybody want to ask some questions? I and did not know about this. <laughs> so I'm going to pepper... In a few questions throughout the show, and we're just right from jump, Duncan. We're going to start with a question. Uh, this Not comes uh, from Court Pisiops, who asks, "Oh yes, who asks us uh, when did the episode start to get good again after the mystery of Laura Palmer's murder is solved?" Um, I thought he meant when when did these podcast episodes start to get good again? And I was going to tell him right now, less of the cheek, Pisiops. Also, I will hunt you down and ground and pound you. Uh, they've never been good also no <laughs> so we aim for consistently mediocre i will have no no one telling me that we are aiming for above that and if you think that we are below that i am happy you're happy if they think we're below mediocre yeah i can live with that bo never yeah, shoot for the stars never aim high right it, you know in the words of lloyd dobler if you go through life depressed everything's a pleasant surprise See, that guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Um, I, I, after the reveal of Laura Palmer, when did the episodes of Twin Peaks get better? Yeah. Well, the Showtime well, this, episodes. He's, no, he's, it, they get better in the second. There are. We've said it before, and we will say it again. Whilst it is widely considered that the second half of season two isn't very good, there are episodes within that second half of the series, which are actually thumping good ones with really good storylines, specifically towards the end of season two, um, where they set up the thing that we can't talk about and the thing with the place with the guy. Um, but we can't, because no, no spoilers. See, coach trying to make me trip up here. However, I would say, fire walk with me. Fucking love it. And then, don't even get me started. The new season is, I can't talk about that either. It seems like a trick question, forged by someone who's maybe trying to start internal wars with other shows 
on the Legion Podcast Network, I would like to make the following statement. <laughs> Mr. Presiops, <laughs> whilst I appreciate and at the same time would like to think that I gave a generous hand in helping your show become part of the wider Legion Podcast community. I also recognise as a OG or original gangster of said Legion Podcast collective that I do not have to respond to claims or accusations or or traps set up by podcasters to try and make me look like an idiot. I can do that fine myself. So, in answer to the question which was not asked and to put this statement to bed, I would like to say that myself and Bo are above you. Or below you. Or right. behind you. Or in front of you. Just wherever you want us to be, we will be there. We're not asking for much. Just leave us a five-star rating on iTunes and we'll be everything square, right? The end. All right. Duly noted. Um, that seemed somewhat political. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in answer to the question, I would yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think there are, there are highlights on the back end of season two, n- none of which we're talking about tonight. But uh, I, there's some good stuff in in these episodes. It's just, uh, it, it's just that the ratio is all out of whack of like stuff that's really cool and interesting and stuff that is. It's fun to talk about on this podcast. It's not necessarily the most fun to watch. Although, court, uh, if you ever decide to enjoy the second season or the second half of season two of Twin Peaks more than you normally would, uh, I would recommend take take the show Cinema Psyops and do a Twin Peaks retrospective because over time <laughs> you will build your own narratives to fill in the gaps and. <laughs> I've done a lot of this. There's a, a storyline that really, like, it, it kicked off kind of in the last episode, but it, it runs all through these two. Um, mm-hmm. That is one of my favorites, not because it's a good storyline, because it is not, but because James features so heavily <laughs> into it and is, like, is gloriously fucking clueless as to what's going on around him. And it just makes me laugh all through the episodes. When, oh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it's as, as, the, as the most telegraphed trap in the history of cinema, and James walks into it blind, reinforcing our statement many times on this show that the man's a fucking idiot. Yeah. Um, inc- incidentally, I think my favourite line in the history of Twin Peaks is uttered in the first episode we're about to talk about. Like, my favourite line at the whole show, and I'm actually now thinking that I can't think this line will ever be beat. It's like, like I heard it, and I I don't know how I'd never focused on it before, but I about wet myself laughing, and I was like, that, that is amazing. I'm, uh, I was, I, I'm not sure I know what you're talking about. This is exciting. Well, when we, yeah, when we get to it, I will, I will see what the line is. It is fucking amazing. Um, well, before we get into the Twin Peaksies, um, even though we took Thanks the question, for your question, though, Court. Uh, yeah. We, we should thank we we, should, we, uh, Yeah, we should thank him, I suppose. Yeah, we, well, he's got... Oh, wait, Court. Uh, yeah. Oh, of course. Um, a little, a little foul-mouthed, one might say, but... I don't think he's foul enough. Um, well, again, you're, you're from Scotland, and there are different <laughs> standards, but... <laughs> Uh, I'm not saying they're better or worse standards. I'm saying they're different. 
It's like here in America, uh, we don't say the word tampon in public. Just doesn't happen. <laughs> um, well, we openly call people tampons if they annoy you. Right, right. Shut it, ya tampon. I'm surprised it's not the name for a, like a, a metro city bus. Like, it oh, may very well be. I here comes the tampon. They would say at the stop. See, when you eventually come over here, you're in for such a culture shock, honestly. <laughs> such yeah, a I've culture been... shock. I, I, just, I just feel that you're going to come over here, be wowed by the, the architecture and the stunning beauty of my country, but at the same time, feel completely despondent and upset that we don't speak like you think we do. <laughs> I, I mean, obviously, I don't think everyone talks like Groundskeeper Willie. I just kind of hope they do. Don't um, don't so, <laughs> but but I, I I've been thinking about this and uh, like at some point uh, and by at some point I mean you know like, like er, probably winter like winter spring uh, as, as we're heading into summer looking ahead a little bit but uh, we ought to try to figure out if there's enough good reason to do like let's try to put together like me and you and uh, maybe the guys from Black Annis guys and guy and girl from Black Annas and uh podcast on Haunted Hill and, uh, you know, like a, a bunch of us and get together and maybe do something. Um, so uh, I don't know. I'm going to say no. Um, yeah, right. Everybody signed <laughs> on except Duncan. What a fuck you. That would be. Um, <laughs> well, I, I, I of all the ones an you ocean. mentioned, <laughs> of all the ones you mentioned, I'm the only one in Scotland, which means that I instantly despise everyone else. Plus you mentioned a lot of English people there. Well, don't know if you know a lot of history about Scotland and England, Bo. No, but these aren't regular old like Brexit English people, Duncan. I don't these know are... if you know the differences between Scotland and England, Bo. They're both islands. There's... No, they're, not... they're the same island to Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, getting back to the original point, uh, which was that uh, before we we get into the Twin Peaks... Um, and we'll Back do... to the original point that these shows have been great. Yes, that all the podcasts... Oh, wait, do you mean the, the series Twin Peaks or the podcast? No, well, I think that your original statement was that what we've been doing has been great. Yeah, I mean... Like, way whatever. back at the beginning, so I just want to reinforce that because we've now spent about 10 minutes just talking shit. Yeah. But, to bring it back, these shows are great. Yes. Um, But before we get into... uh. uh the the show proper we're gonna discuss what we have been watching since we last spoke um duncan and i have been talking almost non-stop for the past <laughs> four days we really have like to put th- to put people in uh, a little peek behind the curtain we recorded for the best part of about four and a half hours on sunday night doing um devour the podcast um sunday night for me it wasn't sunday night for Bo. um but that show finished i think it was about half one in the morning for me, and then the following night, me and Bo recorded a two and a half hour episode covering one episode of Twin Peaks, um, which he managed to edit in super fast time and get out there super quick. But that recording finished about what was it like two in the morning, half two in the morning, yeah. Um, and then I got the night off apparently last night, which wasn't a night off. I then recorded a podcast under the stairs movie commentary which dropped last night. I had to edit that and get that out last night. Um, so I didn't get to bed till about half past two again in the morning. Um, just want to stress to people, I have a full-time job as well. Uh, and then we have returned today. 
so you get we catch up with what we're aiming to do with this show and the people get the episodes that they expect because we will not have social lives ruin the great thing that we've got going on here Bo and if that means that we have to speak to each other almost every single night of the week and talk about James and talk about Twin Peaks talk about Nadine then that's what we will do and we will not bitch and we will not moan about it nay we will we will praise it we will embrace it we love our listeners and our listeners tolerate us <laughs> right it's it's a very love meh relationship that we have <laughs> with our listeners eat, eat, eat pray meh yeah um yeah yeah I, oh god <laughs> i i kind of stopped at the first chapter apparently um <laughs> somebody give me some more pork belly um uh, <laughs> often often heard in this house which is weird because it's only me um but we're gonna talk about what we uh what we've been watching duncan you have anything that you haven't told me about already uh yeah very very quickly i'll talk about this week's episode of american gods this show is rapidly becoming one of my favorite shows Um, i think it's absolutely fantastic visually it is it's up there with Hannibal. I know it's the same showrunner, uh, Brian Thor, that's doing both. Um, but it, visually, it is just one of the most gorgeous shows I've ever seen in my entire life. And they dropped an episode this week, which gave backstory to one character in particular. And it was maybe one of the best standalone episodes of TV I've ever seen. <laughs> Hands right. down. I, I like, hear nothing but good show- things. That show's just doing everything right. In fact, had we not been locked in to do Twin Peaks basically until <laughs> the end of time, um, this is the show that I would have pitched for for Duncan and Bo as a, as a TV. Um, Duncan and Bo become review. American Gods. Yeah, that, see, see the ring of that just now. I'm telling you now. You said that, and my dick twitched. Um, but yeah, uh, I really, it really is one of. And I, I, I'm, I'm reading things where certain people are saying that they, they can't get into it, and that's cool with me. Certain people couldn't get into Hannibal either, and that's what kind of made the show extra special to me. Um, but this is a much bigger budget. This, this Brian Fuller is the real fucking deal, man. This guy has a visual eye unlike anything I've ever seen. This guy's not, he's not making movies. He's He is bringing, like, what I can only describe as cinema, movie cinema auteur style and cinematography to the small screen and it is fucking glorious and this show i'm telling you when you start watching it bo you're gonna love it it's real fucking good and this week's episode completely different pace um i think from what i read today it differs slightly from the book which i'm I'm always down with them that i read the book um so i don't mind them going off but even the people that were saying that it went off from the book I've come back saying, yeah, it's, it, the, what they did in the show is infinitely better than what's in the book. And, yeah, incredible. People should check out that show. Really get on it now. Um, trust me, you do not want to be in a position where, you know, two months down the line, someone spoils the whole fucking thing for you. Get on it now. Now, did he decide to stop making movies or is he in movie jail because of the thing with the young man? Who? The boy. Wasn't there a thing? Am I mixing this up? Somebody got busted. I, I thought it was Brian Fuller. Uh, maybe inappropriately engaged with a young man. Uh, well, I know that Brian Brian Fuller is gay. 
he's openly gay, but I'm not aware of not aware of that. Um, I know that he's he's never really done. I think he did the he did the in fact the, the carry version that he did is a TV movie as well. I don't think he's ever actually done a movie. Uh, so. didn't he do the X Men? Wasn't that him? No, that's him, Brian. Brian Singer, yeah, yeah, completely different. Yeah, Brian Singer's got scandal written all right, over him. That's what I'm thinking of. I am. I apologize, Brian Fuller. I am so sorry. <laughs> yeah, this has just been the week of Bo apologizing to miss fucking representing directors. For those that don't know and haven't listened to the fantastic <laughs> Devour the podcast episode, trust me, one one eight is fucking amazing. Get on it, listen to it. It's four and a half hours of pure gold. But in there, we we realized that for about the last what decade and a half. Bo has been holding some weird sort of blood vendetta over fucking poor John Landis because you thought that he directed American Werewolf in Paris. Yeah, I was really angry about this for a long time. <laughs> like, a, a, like a fact is easily checked on Google. Yeah, but I mean, is Google going <laughs> to tell me I'm right? No, I'm no. not going to check that. <laughs> but I also, I had no reason to go hunting for it. You know, because I, I thought I thought I was correct. I thought, anyway. No, I was totally wrong. Like, I own up to it in a big, big way. I I completely misremembered the director of uh, An American Werewolf in Paris. It was not John Landis. He did uh, Bad Blood. And... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like... John Landis, John Landis, I love is John not, Landis. Don't get me yeah, wrong. Yeah, he's I'm he's not, not innocent here. He has done some shit movies, <laughs> like some really yeah. bad ones. Um, and Dear Woman is a tough set. That uh, I tell you, what's a tough set for me, and it, I, it shouldn't be a tough set because stars actors I actually really like. But he did that Burke and Hare comedy with Simon Pegg. Yeah, and, it's not. Uh, that's a fucking shit movie. That is uh, people was like, it's really really fun. No, it's awful. And Simon Pegg's. Scottish accent is about as good as his Scotty accent, which is two steps away from Bo's Scottish accent. So, yeah, fuck that movie. All right. Um, you know. You heard me. Yeah, boy, you are on fire tonight. Going after Court, now Simon Pegg. I never went after Court. Maligning court after Brian Fuller. <laughs> Saving Brian Fuller from... <laughs> From Bo, Bo basically calling him in no uncertain terms an alleged pedophile. <laughs> I no no no. I felt like I was soft on that from the beginning because <laughs> because of the Landis thing. I was coming into this really? eyes you, open. You, you kind of did the Donald Trump thing there, where you're, where you're like you're like that. Um, you're just posing ambiguous questions that call into character someone without actually necessarily saying it, but putting an idea out there. And that's what you did, Bo. People I have listen, tapes. The truth will out. I have tapes. He better John Landis better hope there aren't tapes. Yes, uh, and 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 Brian Fuller as well. Um, <laughs> Duncan, I saw a movie. Uh, is this the one that you posted earlier on? Yes. Oh right, I have no knowledge about this. This was like uh, I've never heard of this before. So tell me about it. Uh, Summer Camp is the name of the film. It it stars uh, Jocelyn Donna, Donahue from oh, right. uh, House of the Devil. Hmm. Um, and it's about some American campers who are not campers, uh, American, uh, kind of camp counselors. It's a, uh, English as a second language, uh, camp for, uh, people in Spain for kids in Spain. And so they bring Americans over because they want to immerse kids in English 
and so they want American counselors and blah blah blah. So there's uh, there's initially four of them, I think. Doesn't matter. Who cares? Um, <laughs> not to spoil my impromptu <laughs> review here, but um, and and so uh, one of them starts freaking out, kills somebody, like it kind of zombie-ish, but sort of twenty eight days later, zombies. Um, but then they get better. And and that was kind of the interesting concept of the movie was, oh, it's this thing. They don't know what's causing it, but periodically they will flip out and murder someone and then they'll be okay and have no memory of what they did. And uh, so that was kind of an interesting idea. And there's a, a good dynamic between Jocelyn Donahue, who plays uh, a bit of a not stuck up girl, but like someone who came to this camp expecting like, you know, furnished cabins, like not really looking to rough it. She's kind of that girl in the Friday the 13th movie. That's like, mm-hmm. this place is gross. Why these, screen, these screen doors have holes guys. Um, that kind of character. And then there's yes. a character who's a little more grounded and their relationship is kind of contentious and, and sort of interesting. Um, and but then it kind of goes nowhere and just at a certain point just becomes another zombie movie instead of playing with the ideas that made it something a little unique. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I, it's not a bad movie. It, it it's it, it's certainly watchable. Um, it just feels like it kind of threw away some of the things that would have separated from. I don't know. I mean, there's just too many good horror movies out there these days. Yeah. Um. It's it, it's it is a tough market for a kind of zombie movie to feel like it's something special. Yeah, you need to do something different. Yeah, and they kind of do, which is what what piqued my interest about it originally. And uh, yeah, and then then uh, it just sort of fizzles. So yeah, it, you know, uh, I only mention it because i have watched literally nothing else but twin peaks <laughs> and and done podcasts uh since then so um it was the i watched one... i tell you what i watched a couple of days ago and um like j- just to prolong this episode even longer than it's going to be um everyone has like movies that they that they love when they're growing up right but I, the first time i became very much aware that I had an interest in cinema, like a, like an interest out with you know I like watching movies. Was I I was very much aware by like age nine that I had a top five movies. Like even at that age, I was like I had my top five movies of all time. Um, Herbie the Love <laughs> the Bug, Condor Man. <laughs> you know, it was like a totally hybrid at the time. I was like you know the Maltese Falcon. Gone with the wind. Sure, yeah. It's a wonderful life, you know. Like, um, no, like back then, like there was specific movies, and I mean, at, at that point, I was even aware of. Well, I was not fully aware of the back catalogue. I was aware of Carpenter. I mean, there was like two Carpenter movies already in there at nine years old, which were like movies that I worshipped, um, for completely different reasons. Like one at the time was I hadn't seen the thing when I was nine, but one of them was. Um, Escape from New York, which I had seen and loved, and Big Trouble in Little China. So, you know, for obvious reasons, 80s Duncan loved them. And um, one was specifically, and I remember, I 
I used to watch this movie religiously. It was on almost every Christmas um, or Christmas time when you were off school. And it's Terry Gillingham's Time Bandits. Oh, yeah, sure. Which I still think is one of the greatest kids' movies ever made. Even though it's bleak. <laughs> yeah, I, I came to that movie kind of late. Uh, I didn't see it when I was a kid. Mm. Um, I, I was kind of late teens, I think, the first time I saw it. And and so it doesn't resonate with me the way it does with some people. But there yeah. are things I absolutely adore about that movie. And uh, yeah, David Warner is the reason it's amazing. David yeah. Warner is the, the, the all-evil, the all-powerful evil. Um, is just one of the greatest things ever. And like I say, the fact I was watching the special features on the Blu-ray that I have, because I'll put out a Blu-ray, and um, Terry Gillingham basically says that, um, like the end of that movie, spoiler alert for people that haven't seen it, at the end of the movie, the boys return back safe and sound in his family home, and his parents come out holding like a microwave oven, and inside it there's a piece of the eternal evil, and if you touch the eternal evil, you are vaporized and he turns around and they're like oh it looks like there was a roast or something in the oven that's burnt and he's like no don't touch it don't touch it and they touch it and they like, explode essentially but no one else reacts and everyone packs up and drives away thus leaving him an orphan on the street um like one of the most fucking surreally black endings to a movie ever a special one that's aimed at kids um it's but, like a uh, roald doll story oh, really? that, yeah, yeah. that just never got written by him yeah yeah it's, it's a really really bleak dark ending but there's this great story where Terry, Terry Gillingham basically says that the the studio did not want did not want this ending you know they were they were adamant they did not want this ending so um it played I believe it's like an audience test screening in LA and he describes it as just everything was going wrong that night um, for some reason the, the picture quality wasn't that great the audio was slightly off and um, people have to write their scorecards of what they think about the movie, what did they think of and there's like a series of questions um, and one of the questions in there was, you know, because the movie company were going to use this against going on was, what did you think of the ending? And he said that when he was reading back through the cards, there was all these people saying the ending was the best part of the film, right? So, but Gillingham, being Gillingham, could read into the sarcasm. This is basically people saying the best bit about the movie was the end because it's the end of the fucking movie. You know what I mean? They don't have to sit through right. it anymore. So he can read through this, but he pitched it in such a way that he's like, look at all these cards. Look, everyone's saying their favourite bit of the movie is the end of the movie. Thus, the studio let them keep it. <laughs> it's just the greatest fucking thing ever. But, it, I mean, what a Terry Gilliam thing to manipulate the opinions of assholes into, yeah. like, spin that into gold. It's been, uh, and it did, that, movie, that movie was number one in the USA for five weeks. Which, back then, was a big fucking deal. So... There you go, there you go. And he made that movie as a stopgap while trying to get funding for Brazil, which is equally a fucking amazing movie. Gillingham, man, we should do a Gillingham episode you know, one day when we have free time. <laughs> yeah, at, at so, I was just thinking at some point we need to have the Fisher King discussion because that mm. is, I, I think that movie is highly underrated. That is it's a fucking excellent movie, that, excellent movie. Uh, it might be in my top ten. 
and he's got he's got that Don Quixote movie coming out finally, I think it's yeah, next year, and that's taken ten years to get that movie. Out. I can't fucking wait. So I liked Zero Theorem as well. That recent one he put out was actually pretty good as well. Uh, I, I haven't seen Zero Theorem yet. Uh, I know it's uh, Christoph Waltz. Yes, yeah. Jack's on it. Um, yeah, I mean, it took so long to make uh, his Don Quixote film. They actually did a documentary about how he couldn't make a Don Quixote film. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's maybe, I think it's potentially one of the last movies to have John Hurt in it to be released. I think it was one of the last roles oh, yeah. he filmed before his, before his death, which, yeah. I can't, I actually can't wait for that. But that was a slight aside. But I just, once again, it's one of these things where I am reminded that like, there, there are certain movies that you go back to from your youth as an adult. And whilst the nostalgia might be there, you realize that the movie is not very good and you can start picking holes in it and you just start to lose interest. Um, I kind of almost feel a bit upset that you've almost tarnished the memory you have by watching it later on and realizing it's not as good as your memory remembers it. Um, but Time Bandits is no such movie like that. Time Bandits, I, I love it just as much now as I did when I saw it for the first time at like six. Um yeah, a fucking amazing movie. Yeah. And it has Sean Connery. It's Alexander the Great, that famous, famous Egyptian who, once again, is talking like this. Hello. <laughs> I'm Alexander the Great. I've conquered this world. I'm Egyptian. Um, I'm as Egyptian as fuck. <laughs> I'm Egyptian. Later on, after this role, I will play a Highlander. <laughs> once <laughs> again, we play a dangerous game. Um... <laughs> so yeah so there we go that's that was my slight aside to bring us back um we've two two episodes however we've timed this perfectly because there is a certain storyline that is finished from these two episodes so it's pretty yeah good. yeah yeah it's and uh by the end of this evening when i look at my list of episodes uh i will be able to see the end of season two. <laughs> yay um Let's not wish the time away, though, Duncan, because we've got quality James to discuss tonight. Um, <laughs> and Nadine. James, Nadine, uh, David Duchovny. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's a whole lot of fucking awesome coming up here. And we get to we get to finally acknowledge the existence of Lumberjack Cooper. Oh, my goodness. It's one of the greatest things ever, both. It, it's like casual Cooper is just... The... <laughs> <laughs> one of the greatest things ever um all right before we launch uh however uh into the first episode n- another question oh god they're coming in thick and fast both thick and fast um oh duncan don't tempt me with semen talk do the actors playing ed and we nadine spend too much time together <laughs> too much time together because that was literally what was going through my head when i said it well of course it was um yeah. this also comes from uh court psyops do the actors playing ed and nadine get their roles in people under the stairs because of how creepy they are on twin peaksies um i don't I, know that I, there's I, anything like confirmed about this but how how is it you, not a thing? you must think you must think wes craven was a fan of Twin Peaks at the time and maybe cast him because he looked a particular way. I wouldn't say, in answer to his question, I wouldn't say necessarily that either role um, 
in Twin Peaks is creepy. Um, I think Ed, if anything, plays the very kind of he is traditional Americana when you think about it, the strong, silent type, the strong man, silent man who looks after his family, looks after his woman. Um, Nadine is very eccentric. Um, as a fan of that movie, you may have guessed I'm a fan of that movie. Um, I genuinely think they, they're perfectly cast in it, but I don't necessarily... I imagine they're picked because of the work in Twin Peaks, but Wes Craven could clearly see something in their acting style that could morph into the performances of the man and the woman um, and people under the stairs. Uh, it's, it's particularly Nadine, who is at times fucking terrifying in the people under the stairs. There is a scene where she grabs a knife releases this high-pitched screen and runs down the corridor with his knife trying to stab the girl. Um, and it's one of those scenes that just is so creepy and so unsettling. And the fact that Big Ed's running around the house in a gimp suit with a shotgun blowing holes in the wall trying to kill a black kid. Um, it was a different time, Bo. Different time. But I, I would imagine, yes, I would maybe even one of them got cast and brought the other one in, or both of them came as a package. Um, you know, you're, you're hiring me, you hire Nadine. Um... But I, I don't necessarily think it's caused they were creepy on the show. I, I think that's I think it's maybe they just had good chemistry as a husband and wife. Um, and that's a difficult thing to sell. So yeah, and had a look, you know, like they do both... have a specifically her. Yeah, she has that kind of jawline. He's got like a very prominent jawline, but she has a very angular kind of jawline, which which at the right angle is very freaky. It's very very scary. So. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I I wish we knew the real story. Unfortunately, Wes Craven is a corpse now and can't uh, tell us. I don't us. even know if it's on the Blu-ray. I'll, I'll need to check. I've got both versions. I've got the Arrow one and the Scream Factory one. Once again, you may have guessed I kind of like that movie. Um, that I've never I've never delved into the special features. Um, so maybe there's something in there that that covers it, but. Uh, yeah, I really want to watch the people under the stairs now. <laughs> yeah, um, like you do. Uh, yeah. Well, let's let's jump into Twin Peaks sees since we're talking about it, mm -hmm. um, which we tend to do on this show from time to time. Not always, Occasionally. sometimes. Allegedly, allegedly, yeah. and, be and between the the various accents and subplots we've invented, we do talk about what happens on the show. Um, and the first episode that we'll be discussing tonight, Duncan, is entitled The Black Widow. Uh, this is directed by Caleb Deschanel, uh, who has done a lot of work on uh, on Twin Peaks. He's kind of a, a mainstay. Um, and it is uh, written by Harley Payton and uh, Robert Ingalls, who also uh, are responsible for a number of episodes, both season one and season two. Um, so it's this, by all accounts, Duncan, should be a straight down the middle, just fine episode. <laughs> you know, we're we're in good hands. Uh, you know, we got uh, uh, things going on with the major. Uh, Agent Cooper is, um, of course, Casual Cooper. Casual Cooper is suspended, uh, potentially being investigated by his now, uh, you know, man, man turned woman friend with the. Uh, DEA Dennis now Denise Bryson. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got Clarence Clemens the third, 
uh, from the FBI investigating him. A um, lot, of, lot of stuff going down. And then we've got a bunch of dumb subplots with other people <laughs> that come to the fore, and uh, that's a bummer. And this episode is no different, uh, Duncan, because we start with one Bobby Briggs. Mm-hmm. Power player, as I like to call him. The power player Bobby Briggs rolling up yep. into the Great Northern to discover a Ben Horn um, <laughs> with a droopy tie and an even droopier expression, Duncan. He has, however, built the greatest totem in the history of man. There's a totem built out of office stationery, chairs, his name, and a stuffed animal. It's the kind of shit Pink does in Pink Floyd The Wall. Yeah. <laughs> like like right before he gets into the Nazi gear at the, the you know, uh, Dirty Woman stage of the film. This mm-hmm. is kind of the shit that happens just after that. Yeah. Um, and so Bobby is like, hey, Mr. Horn, do you miss <laughs> that tape I sent you over here? And... <laughs> I'm so glad we're carrying this accent through. It's the best thing ever. I yeah, I, I can't not. And uh, hey, I'm trying to blackmail over here. Hey, I know you're building temples and totems and whatnots. I'm just trying to get paid over here. Uh, just trying to get some scratch over here. Come on. <laughs> I got a lady at home. Her husband. Her husband's all in a wheelchair, and it's rickety as shit over here. <laughs> so. Is like that comes up again. Like it, that's a rickety ass wheelchair. They ought to be ashamed. Yeah. Um, like steal one from a homeless person for God's sakes. Have some respect <laughs> for yourselves. Yeah, kick a vet off it and take it from them. Right, it's just a war vet. Not not that. anyone helping animals. Come on. Right. Well, not of course. Barbarian. Um. Although it would be funny if they just crammed Leo into one of them dog wheelchairs. You know, just for like <laughs> the back half of a dog. <laughs> Give him a cone for his head. Uh huh. To so, stop him spitting on you, so he doesn't, yeah, scratch at him. So, although, although, if you gave him a big enough cone, the fact he does spit would make him look like one of those dinosaurs from Jurassic Park. Oh my God, you're right. The, uh, yeah. oh geez, like dip. Can't remember what they're called, but something. Uh, anyway, God, my all I know is Dennis Nedry ends up there. <clears throat> so yeah, that's true. Um, uh, uh, uh. Um, gotta say the magic word. Oh man! Now, all right, we're gonna pause this so I can go watch Jurassic Park real quick. <laughs> I'll turn it off before it's over with. I won't st- stick around for the whole thing. Um, oh dear. So, I'm trying to blackmail over here. Yeah. So Bobby Briggs is like, "Hey, I need some money over here for that tape that incriminates you and whatnots." And uh, Ben Horn kind of spins it on him. He flips the script, Duncan, as the kids say. Yes, he does. And he's like, you know what? You seem like a go-getter. So how about you do this, Bobby Briggs? First of all, stop talking like that. Second of all, (laughs) I want you to take this camera that I conveniently did not pile atop my uh, temple of weirdness. And I want you to follow uh, Hank and find out what he's up to. Because as we know, last episode, Hank comes to Ben Horn and is like, you're out, see? And, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a new plan, see? Yeah. 
there's a new guy in town, see? I'm working for him now, see? And uh, Ben Horn was like, you know, because he's got nothing at this point. He's He really is on the outs. Yeah, he says, he says, get me pictures of things I don't know. Yes, which is a good so one. So he knows, yeah, which he, he knows that he's working with Jacques Renault, but he doesn't know what they're doing. So he, he needs some information. Bobby is excited. He leaves a Vec camera. Um, and as he's leaving, a woman in her nighting dress runs past him screaming as a gentle reminder to a subplot no one can be bothered talking about. But we're going to talk about it. We, we have no choice but to later in the episode. Um, but first, let's let's go to Casual Cooper. Casual Cooper is fucking rocking a plate shot. He, all right, so it's the flannel shirt, uh, the gray undershirt. Yeah, immaculate flannel shirt. Yeah, no, this is... No crease. Right. Uh, you know, some uh, some kind of khaki pants mm-hmm. and boots. Yeah. And Casual Cooper, you know, sans gun, just to keep with the theme of using French words whenever we feel like it, I guess. Like uh, it, like it. Um, well, Jack Renault's in this one, so we should try and keep it kind of half Frenchy. Sure, sure. We should do the whole thing in that stupid... Uh, Jean Reno accent. I'm don't sure that it. would don't never get tiring. Don't, don't do it. Um, but all right. So uh, uh, Cooper is talking to a real estate agent because he. It turns out he's for realsies thinking about moving to Twin Peaks. The property prices are down, Bo. I mean, he could probably pick up something with his with his wage, with his savings. He could probably the friggin' steal down here. Not to mention that there have just been a rash of murders and whatnot. <laughs> so that's depressing property values as well. Yeah, yeah, there's a rumor that a father raped his daughter and then killed her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a real problem in Twin Peaks. And, you know, in theory, there's an evil spirit on the loose. Let's not forget that one of the town's pillars, you know, Major Briggs, just fucking Banished. disappeared in the woods. Up vanished. So, um, so yeah, he's going through them, and the realtor narrows it down to two very nice properties. But you know what? You know what? This is Agent Cooper we're talking about here, and nothing, nothing is going to be forced on him, which cannot be decided using fate, chance, or the toss of a coin ball. Right. Allow, allowing the universe to guide him. What a guy. Yeah. But, Duncan, what happens here is that he flips a coin over two houses that she wants to show him, and uh, the coin flies slow-mo into the air and then lands upon the desk and bounces onto a folder beneath the other two. Yeah. And uh, he's like, what's that house? And she's like, oh, that old thing? I didn't think I still had this in here. It's haunted as shit. And <laughs> it's, got, it's got the pleasant name of Dead Dog Farm. Dead Dog Farm. And uh, immediately Cooper says, when can I see it? And, Big smile on his face because yeah. he's a happy guy. Um. So speaking of subplots we don't care about, Duncan. Oh, here he comes. Let's uh, jump into the lobby where Deputy Andy, Lucy, Dick Tremaine, and a surprise appearance from Molly Shannon... Mm-hmm. Uh, as a social worker who she's the social worker for little Nikki, 
who is the little kid we don't care about. Yeah, we we really don't care about little Nicky. And I really don't care about this subplot. No, I mean, the most interesting thing about this scene is the fact that it's like, well, son of a bitch, there's Molly Shannon. Yeah, it's so That's fucking it. weird. It's so weird. You're just like, what the fuck? So this must have been before she started doing Saturday Night Live then. Oh, yeah. I, you you got to think so. And uh, so, you know, it, it, like looking at her, it's like, oh, my God, that's going to be, you know, uh, Sister Mary Gallagher and, um, you know, like all the the cheese, uh, the NPR chicks that were talking about the sweaty balls. Like she has this entire <laughs> comedic career ahead of her. And she's weirdly in the, one of the worst scenes in an episode of Twin Peaks. Sweaty <laughs> balls. Uh, it. I mean, it's a fantastic sketch, Duncan. <laughs> yeah, it's just funny. Which is what you're aiming for with a Saturday night variety comedy show, <laughs> right? Funny is you, you want know, a chuckle. Top three. <laughs> yeah, so, so she's basically here with the case file for little Nikki, and basically says that the kid has had a run of bad luck, Bo. There's maybe something traumatic happened in his past. Um, he's obviously an orphan, and he's bounced from foster family to foster family, never staying long any of them. And, of course, this tugs on the old heartstrings of, you can imagine Lucy, maybe Andy, if he knew where his heart was located, and not the opportunistic dickhead Dick Tremaine, who's clearly using this as an angle to get Lucy. That's all he's interested in. Um, but that, and It begs the question, why does he dick. want Lucy? It's because I think she wants someone else. That's the only reason I think it is. I think it's as soon as she kind of... As soon as they broke up and she started being chummy-chummy and pally-pally with Andy again, that's when he became interested. So I think it's a vanity thing, which you would never guess from looking at Dick Tremaine. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't feel like that's really spelled out all that well in the show. I mean, I, I feel like we're yeah. kind of filling filling in some blanks with this character. Yeah, because this subplot is fucking going nowhere. It means nothing and adds nothing to the overall story of Twin Peaks. This is just purely a way to keep certain characters on the screen, particularly Lucy and Andy. Right, and you know, I mean, you make choices, Duncan. Mm -hmm. Um. But, all right, let's go to another storyline. <laughs> uh, yeah, because Andy gets pulled away because uh, Truman pops his head out and says, Andy, we need to go up to the Great Northern. There's been an accident or an emergency. Uh, and that emergency happens to be the brother, the recently married brother of the mayor, uh, Dougie Milford, um, who... <laughs> Died the way that I want to die, Bob. There's two ways that Duncan wants to die. Let me tell you about Surrounded one of by them. Pornography. No. Oh. <laughs> one of them, one of them is making love to a beautiful woman, uh, or my wife. My wife making love to my wife. She doesn't listen to this show. We're fine. Um, the second way I want to die is steamroller, just dropped from a high height, just splat. Oh my god, you would be amazing two dimensional. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. All right, well. I, I'm thinking it's like Roger Rabbit, you know, who framed Roger Rabbit. I just kind of get myself back up, get like one of those foot pumps and kind of blow myself back up. That's how that works, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Biology. 100%. Yeah. Well, yeah. you okay. can also, uh, yeah, like stick your thumb in your mouth and blow. Yeah. Uh, your eyes pop out. And then you start talking like this, Eddie! Oh, like that. Nadine! 
Oh my goodness. They could be the same person. That's fucking right. It's exactly what it is. We have solved another crime. Case closed, Bo. Yep. Let's get out of here. All right. That's been Duncan and Bo go to Twin Peaks. Um, no, okay. So, Let's start the show again. Yeah. All right. So, uh, one Pete Martell is... <laughs> the fifth time. The fifth time. Um, so, yeah. So, Dougie Milford uh, was fucking his new younger wife with like the kama sutra and like you know uh, an anatomy book (laughs) uh like just all this literature scattered around like if you're that old at what point do you need the tips you know if you're that old at what point do you need to learn right like (laughs) this is like does he just now have an interest in like sex, like unique sexual positions. I don't think so. He gets married every couple of years, according yeah, to. Yeah, if you if, if you if you are like like ninety years old and you don't know where the clitoris is, just die. Right, and also <laughs> if you're ninety, you're not bending and contorting. You're yeah. just like I'm happy to be here and still alive for God's sakes. Yeah, you just tell me where you want me to sit and preferably lay. You know, like there is no question in my mind that we're not talking rodeo her on top. Oh god, yeah, she's riding him like Sea Biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you went to Sea Biscuit. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so, um, so he's dead, and then the brother comes in and is like, "The that young woman murdered him." And, Calls her a witch. Yeah. And this is where we get at least a little, a little sousant of Ooh, Deputy nice. Hawk. Because she, she's like, uh, I, you know, he's right. I am a witch. Because uh, she's got a southern accent for some reason in, in yep. the show. And Hawk is like, did I hear say, someone say something supernatural? Because I handle shit like that. And and that's kind of what he tells her. She, you know, she gives him the whole story about, uh, like her, uh, what was the deal? Like her parents died, or he, yeah, she at her prom, she went to she went to oh, prom with right, it's a the, guy who just got braces fitted and the elastic band snapped just before they kissed, and his mouth was locked open, and they had to rush him to the hospital. They had to break his jaw three times. She says, yeah. and which sounds super painful quite frankly that did really sound painful and deputy hawk is like (laughs) listen honey a curse the way he puts it a curse needs a cure and (laughs) i'm such a smooth motherfucker right such a smooth motherfucker although like fucking deputy andy ruins this and like it was stupid to end on this joke they should have just let deputy hawk be awesome in this scene because he's like, she's like, are you the sheriff around here? And uh, he's like, no, but let me put it to you this way. When something goes down around here, I'm the guy they call. And then Debbie, like he leans back and folds his arms over his chest, like looking awesome. Like yep. a man who threw a knife into a man's back a couple of episodes ago. <laughs> from a distance. From a, yeah. 
kind of at a squat too. I mean, what like mm-hmm. it's not ideal conditions for throwing knives into people's backs, but Deputy Hawk is practiced enough to to pull it off. Because uh, yeah. that is not the first man he killed with a knife. Don't oh no, he's killed. Yourself. He's killed many, 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 many men. Yeah, never anyone who did who didn't have it coming. No, no, of course, of course not. He's not a fucking savage, bro. Yeah. Uh, careful. Um, <laughs> I get to say that. So sure, you can. Right? Yeah, it's it's not our word anymore. Um, yeah, like I <laughs> like, see what I see. Savage. I'm just talking about all Americans. Sure, and you're not wrong. Uh, but yeah, so he folds his arm over his over his chest, and then stupid Deputy Andy opens the door he's leaning against, and he kind of falls backwards. Yeah. But what you don't see, Duncan is that he like fell into a shoulder roll was back on his feet happened to notice someone stealing a car in the parking lot leapt out of the window yep rushed to the car but hey this was an experienced car thief who was already in the car by the time deputy hawk gets there but he leaps onto the hood duncan holding on for dear life as the thief is whipping the steering wheel this way and that, sending Hawk's legs skittering across the top of the hood. He, the thief slams on the brakes. The hood itself, like Hawk's grip on it, is so tight, the hood itself comes off and sends yeah. him flying. But he flips over, lands on top of the hood again, leaps towards the car. The stun thief doesn't know what the, the fuck to think at this point. He's never seen a lawman like this before. Hawk... Never punches through the window the door's unlocked hawk punches through the window and knocks him out with that punch yeah it's the greatest unseen shot in twin peaks history uh but it's just what hawk's doing you know like he said when something's going down he's the guy you call he is the guy you call uh all right let's get i almost feel like that really happened um, it did in my head. I've played it that whole scene. It was amazing. That's all for you, listeners. That's storytelling at its finest. Yeah, hopefully you closed your eyes and imagined it when Bo was talking about theater it. Theater of the mind. Theater of the mind. You know what's not theater of the mind? Twins, Twin Peaks High School. Ugh. All right, Duncan. <laughs> so... uh <laughs> Yeah, it started like like I, I loved how you corrected me earlier on for maybe saying something that could be mildly contorted to something that's slightly racist. Um, but this coach is out and out racist right at the start, and he can get away with it because he's a black man. Sure. So <laughs> here's this monologue where he basically talks about back in the day, you know, black athletes weren't allowed to be on the same team as white athletes until this one coach one day saw this fine athlete and put him on the team. And this fine athlete performed better than all the others. And the coach knew that he'd done right. Well, it was an Indian, I think. It was an Indian. What not? If you listen to what he says originally, he says black. Right. He changes it to Indian at the end, which is weird. Yeah. And it makes me just think that the coach is making up the story, <laughs> which I think he is because he can't remember what the coach's name is. And he's just using this as a way to say, and with that, Nadine is going to use her God-given right protected by the fucking whatever the constitution yeah the constitution of the united states of america says that she can play on the wrestling team and she is and she's not bo she's walking in there into the the lion's fucking den surrounded by well-trained vicious 
athletes. And you know what? She says that she wants to take on their best wrestler, who unfortunately happens to be Mike. Well, and we know he's the best wrestler because there's a sign in the gymnasium on the wall that just says, Mike Nelson is the best. Yes. I, I like the fact that they have to include first and last name yeah. in, in their I, support. I, I, it's good. That, that gym having that logo there is very similar to what we did at the start of the show where we said that our podcast is great. Right. It's <laughs> And the coach's nickname is Tiny. Yes. Uh, so... Mike, like you said, Mike has chosen to be her her sparring, wrestling sparring partner. Yeah. And Mike uh, doesn't stand a chance. No, and Mike is also like, God damn it. Like he isn't he is not up for this even a little bit. Yeah. Um, but uh he he takes her into the circle, the square circle as they call it, Duncan. Mm-hmm. Not what they call it. Um <laughs> that's boxing. <laughs> this is wrestling. It's totally different things. I know nothing about either, so. Um, and uh, the sweet science, they call it, Duncan. Mm-hmm. Wrestling. Uh, did you ever see Rocky, All About Wrestling? It's a really good movie. I uh, did not, no. You should. It's very good. Um, so he leads her into the circle, and she's just, like, wrapping her arms uh, around his neck, and he's like, no, 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 you gotta kind of grab me like this. And she's like, okay! And <laughs> she, she pulls him in and she's like, Mike, do you want to go on a date? Mike, you should go out with me. I like to have everything in my holes all at once. <laughs> Call your friends. And he, he, he at first kind of schools her a little bit, kind of humiliates her, spins around her, lifts her up, slams her down. And that was his first mistake. His, right. What he should have done was said, "Run." I refuse to wrestle this woman, um, which right. was really his first mistake because he agreed to it. And, and then she. I'm a she, minor in high school being sexually harassed by an older woman. Where yeah. Where is someone in Twin Peaks High School, you know, leadership in their? Yeah, where's the Constitution now? <laughs> right. Yeah. What, what about my constitutional rights? Not to get groped by by grandma crazy over here yeah and she um she at first flips him over slams him down then she physically lifts him above her head with ease yeah and then throws him across the gym before pinning him once again asking him out um and then we get to see this great scene afterwards as Donna, remember Donna? Uh, who we see very little of now because right. Donna really couldn't give a fuck about this show. Donna does not want to be here. She's had enough. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that one of the major characters of this show is so sidelined in these yep. episodes because they don't have anything for her to do at all. Yeah, this is what this is why I was saying earlier on, this is the only reason the Dick Tremaine story little Nicky's happening it's to give two characters something to do and because Donna's whole existence in the show from from the writing point of view is to be like surgically attached to James who is off wandering <laughs> on his his James Springer <laughs> he's like kung fu the legend <laughs> continues he's out there just it's like fucking Caradine walking the sand um like he's he's on his he's on his journey. 
Um, and so as a result, she is basically relegated to like a, a seventh tier character. And Mike has more screen time than her. Mike's someone that we saw like next to nothing of up until this point. Mike has more screen time. And he comes down with a crink in his neck and he basically says to Donna he needs her help. She needs to either befriend Nadine and tell her to stop or he needs to pretend that she's still seeing him. And he and, and he's desperate for this and uh, Donna says no. <laughs> kind of leaves him in the lurch. Well, and Mike, at that point, is fearful that no one has taken this serious and he will be violated by Nadine. Right. It's going to happen, peeps. Don't be surprised by a bulge. <laughs> My clitoris is kind of like a small penis. <laughs> she refers to it as our hairy spike. Um, <laughs> yes. She's coming to get him. Uh, yeah, but, so... it, but it further emphasizes, not her small penis, but it further emphasizes <laughs> the point that like Donna is on the show to be told something we already know yeah. and then refuse to participate in this storyline. Yes. <laughs> you know, like anyway, it, it really is uh, like you're just putting her on the show because she's not on the show. Yeah. It's, this is, yeah, this is literally, well, you know, you're, you're living on location with all the other actors. We better give you something to do. Um, but let's not make it too long because we've got such quality stories to talk about, like James. Yeah. All right. So let's get into James and the uh, what I like to call double in stupidity. Um, <laughs> where James is hanging out, looking at a gun in a box. Um, yep. and Malcolm Sloan shows up, uh, or yes. so he says. Yes, Malcolm Sloan, quote, uh, well, that's his name, how he quotes his name, and he is apparently Evelyn's husband's driver. Now, Evelyn was the one that has the scary tooth that Bo is freaked out slightly, it, and I had not noticed, but after recording that previous episode, when watching the episode tonight, could not take my eye off it every time she's on the screen. It's fucking hypnotic, isn't it? Like once it really it's there, is. She has a can... dead tooth. One of her teeth is dead. That's been <laughs> that's been capped poorly, and it is rotted. The, the nerve is dead inside it. It is completely a different color than all her other teeth. It's so bizarre, and because she's such a beautiful woman, but yeah. then it's like, well, tooth. <laughs> right. You know, it's the moly, 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 <laughs> moly, 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 moly. Yeah, <laughs> nice it... to mow you. Um, I mean, meet you, meet you. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but so you know, Sloan comes in. He's like, "I'm Sloan, Malcolm Sloan," and that's a really good Malcolm Sloan. And uh, you know, he, he... everyone in this household drinks. By the way, I don't know if you noticed that. Every scene of them in this house includes an alcoholic beverage. Well, because we're just doing a noir movie here. Yeah, we're adults. Yeah, James is in an adult world now. James is not. James has left small town Americana, right? He's left Twin Peaks. He's now he's now out in the big bad world, and in the big bad world, adults drink all the time. That's what adults do, bro. Yeah. And saying that, I'm sitting here recording with you, and in front of me, I have a large glass of 
ice cold water and beside it I have a tumbler of whiskey. I only have the water because I'm not a lush. Um <laughs> plus it's slightly earlier where you are. Right, but Although uh, it's acceptable drinking time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is into cocktail hour, so um Ooh, cocktail error. Ooh, fancy. Oh, give me a Manhattan. Oh, oh look, my so my tail's got stuck on the golden throne. Um, <laughs> look at me, I'm like Dr. Jacoby. I have a drink with an umbrella, and it's a tiny little umbrella. Now let me put this tiny little umbrella in this tiny little coat stand. <laughs> you're, you're a plumber. What on earth is that? Uh, <laughs> he did Eddie Azar, yeah, it's one of the best Eddie Azar lines. Yeah, it's the um, best thing ever. <laughs> I need I need to read his book, that uh, memoir he just put out. Um, uh-huh. I I need to get a copy of that. Um, but instead, I bought uh, instead of buying that book, which is actual words to read, uh, I ended up buying today the a collection of the original EC Comics Tales from the Crypts. Uh, oh. I know. I just. I, have you read the Secret History of Twin Peaks yet? I have not. I need to get my that hands clock's on that ticking, well. dude. I know. I tick know. Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. But I read so fast. I'm like a, a a speed reader. Good. So am I. So the same. Um. So I have I have that book on order. I also have the Secret Diary of Laura Palmer as well all right. on order. Oh, all right. So speaking of Twin Peaks, Duncan. Let, yeah, me, let me tell you what's what going on for. with James. So, James. Clueless James, as I like to call him. All right, well, but this whole scene is Sloan, Malcolm Sloan, telling uh, James all about, um, is it Evelyn? Yes, Evelyn. All right. Yeah. Uh, Evelyn's husband. And, like, you know, they fell in love once upon a time. and uh, But then he started beating her, like, once a fortnight. Uh, and he actually uses the line, once a fortnight. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I'll be tearing at the corner of my eye. I was like, "This this Sloan guy knows how to talk English." Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I was I lo- like, "I know that word." I I really like the the word Fortnite. It it makes me happy. Um, so, uh, James the entire time is just staring blank faced as someone is just spewing information at him. Just giving information over readily. Like, right. Like, just without prompt. You know, this is the first time they've met with gay abandon. He basically describes how Evelyn is, you know, physically abused every couple of weeks. And in exchange for this, she gets him back by destroying one of his quote-unquote precious things. Well, and this is where they set this whole stupid scheme up. Yeah, Operation Confused James, which turns out is a lot easier than they thought it was going to be when he first drove into that bar. Yeah, and it it's... It, James was like, how come nobody stops him if he's so mean to her? <laughs> and... And also, he mentions that Malcolm does not look like Laura. Yeah, you don't look like Laura. You're not even <laughs> a lady like Laura. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> and... Stranger danger. Stranger yeah. danger. <laughs> right. That's why I was like, I'm not a stranger. I'm Malcolm Sloan. So I'm you not... know my name now. We can be friends. I'm not supposed to take candy from you. <laughs> I 
I don't have candy. I have scotch. Uh, scotch. And, okay, I don't think that's candy. <laughs> One time I ate so much candy, I got sick. And I was like, oh, this guy is perfect. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but, it, you know, after talking about the beating and stuff, and James like, well, how come you never help her? And uh, he's like, look, nobody nobody stands up to Mr. Marsh. No, Nobody has the, the sheer gumption, the sheer, I don't know, stupidity. <laughs> it's like his... Only there was... If only there was someone who sings like a woman who drives a motorcycle. And yeah, and it kind of leaves James to sit there with his thought um, of like, he didn't look like Laura. Yeah, well, this is essentially the problem. They have to reiterate this later on to him because in the interim, James didn't think about this at all. All he could remember was this guy didn't look like Laura. And also he found a penny. Oh, (laughs) right. I'm going to put this with my collection of coins. <laughs> some are silver and some are brown. But the brown ones have Beard Guy. I like Beard Guy. He doesn't look like Laura, though. Um, oh, God. It's just I can go down that well anytime. Um, yep. <laughs> all right. Let's let's leave James there in, in his guest bedroom or whatever. Because we have to check out uh, Dead Dog Farm. Yeah, piece of shit. Dead Dog Farm. If it is growing um, like shitty ceramic statues, Mm -hmm. this is quite the farm, Duncan. Um, (laughs) But before he gets in there, like, all right, I don't want to badmouth this scene too much because this is still like where things are interesting. Yeah, there's this is there's an interesting storyline at the back of this scene. Like th- this scene belies something very interesting. Well, um, and even but, you the... know, if a realtor tells you, Bo, that this is a fixer upper, um, that usually means piece of shit. Um, so just saying, it's not the nicest looking place. But like you say, there's a the coop is there. He's breathing in the country air. He's wanting to be a Twin Peaks resident and to do that. He needs to buy this little dead dog farm. He needs to check at the property. He needs to go in there with a the realtor. Well, even at the very beginning, she's like, you know, I don't necessarily recommend you buy this place because it appears to be the crossroads of good and evil where an <laughs> eternal battle continues to take place. And he's like, really? Show me more. He's like, <laughs> would you like to know more? Yeah. And then uh, he he's like, hey, did I... <laughs> The, the file from this real estate agent is basically like a choose-your-own-adventure. Right. <laughs> Go inside or check out the glowing rock. Um, in this case, uh, Agent Cooper is like, hey, did I happen to mention that I'm a super sleuth? And she's like, no, why? He's like, let me ask you a question. How, how many times do you come up here? How many people are, are supposed to be here? And uh, she's like, nobody. I haven't been here in a while. And he's like, really? Because there are three sets of car tracks right over here. One's an yep. SUV, one's a sedan, and one's a hovercraft. And because <laughs> he's that good. <laughs> yeah, one that didn't leave any tire prints at all. All <laughs> oh, right. I just know it was there. Be- not because of the tire tracks that are there. It's the tire tracks that aren't. <laughs> She's like, fuck, you're good. And he's like, I know. 
Um, and he's like, you better... <laughs> he's like, that is... And by the way, the front door's unlocked. Before yeah. they even touch it. <laughs> yeah, and he just kind of bounces in, and he's like, hey, somebody's been here. And then he finds, like, a cigarette in an ashtray, and he, like, tastes the tip, and he's like, just hours ago. And... Yep. It so, but it turns out they're like little plastic baggies. Yeah, which, but what would you put in these little plastic baggies? Well, it, he at first he goes to the sink, and there's mm-hmm. a bunch of powder in there, and he puts yep. a little on his pinky and gives it the old taste, the drug taste, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh, that's baby laxative. Daddy knows what he likes." Yeah, his baby likes to tip it, and then he shits his pants. Immediately, flood like Evil Dead Two floods this place. Yeah, with yeah, runny poo. Um, there was a slight gurgle in his stomach, and then he followed through completely. <laughs> it was, it was like drinking from the fire hose in UHF. It was that. It was, it was like the elevators in The Shining, but with shit. <laughs> but but super sleep agent cooper nonplussed by this and god still unable to find the realtor who's been washed away in this tsunami of shit all he sees is a hand (laughs) sticking up from the muck to sub-reference one more time like lord of illusions when everyone gets baked into the floor um that doesn't happen. Doesn't no, happen. But, but I wish it did. Uh, yeah, but he does. Uh, like he's like, well, those are baby laxatives, but over here, there's a little powder, and he gives it the pinky taste again, mm-hmm. and he's like, you know what that is? And she's like, I have no idea. And he's like, that is what they call the skag, the gank, <laughs> the yayo, the toot snoot, the booger sugar, clean burning <laughs> propane. And I just like to think that when that drops, people that are listening to the show do like a fist pump. Yeah, right, right. Or in my mind, it's like taking a drink. Yeah, it's like all right. Now you have to kill your beer when he says "clean burning propane." Clean burning propane. Clean burning propane. <laughs> the bull is trying to get your stomach pumped. <laughs> right. Uh, what you doing, bull? Well, that's what Wait he does. He's evil. <laughs> Uh, so, but the real estate agent, uh, like wiping the matted hair from her mouth, uh, from the voracious pooing, um, <laughs> is like, what is that? And he's like, you know what? I think maybe you just saved my life. And then they make sweet, sweet love. Cause that's what Dale Cooper do. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So that doesn't happen. Um, does not happen because Dale Cooper does not have the sex. Not without a consenting adult in the room. There's probably yeah. something to sign, but when it happens, it is spiritual in a way that Sting could only aspire to. Yeah, it's, it's magical. It's yes. magical. It feels at first very formal, but it's transcendent. Yeah, well, it's it it seems formal at first just because the foreplay is there to prepare you. For the more psychedelic elements of the experience. Yeah, yeah, you sign a waiver at the start fully in the knowledge that you probably will not be able to walk for two days. Yeah. And and when you speak of it, and you will. 
that you have to you have to put in the asterisk in the description of the events of this is what I remember. <laughs> and whenever trying to recall the story, halfway through it, your eyes will look to the side and your 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 words will trail off as yeah. you relive the experience and climax again through the physical thought of the activity that happens. That how that's how powerful he is. When he lost his virginity, his partner said, My God, it's full of stars. Mm-hmm. And it's been uphill ever since. It's, it's been, yeah, that was that was his first time. Right. He was nervous. Um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well like what people don't know about Agent Cooper is Agent Cooper knows how to th- to find the third clitoris. <laughs> <laughs> he, he he has invented parts of the women's anatomy that he can will into being. <laughs> it's like awakening the the pineal gland. This so, this show is so fucking stupid. <laughs> it's amazing. I love it. I actually fucking love it. The thing is, I forget all the gold until I listen back to it, and then I'm just like that. We are a couple of fans. Um, uh, all right. Speaking of fans, I couldn't be a bigger fan of this next scene, Duncan. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, um. So Dick Tremaine and Little Nicky. Or as I like to call him, Little Dick, because he had, Dick Tremaine has modeled him as his like exact self he is wearing exactly the same outfit and has exactly the same hairstyle as Victor Mean. yeah it's it's unsettling like no parent should ever do that matching tattoos totally fine matching clothes not cool that's a negative on that one um (laughs) so anyway Dick Tremaine is reading um changing tires for dummies Yep. Uh, sitting beside his car, which apparently has a flat, although the tire looked fun to me. It and, looked fine to me as well. Um, and little Nicky is whipping the wheel around in, while the car's up on uh, on the jack. And mm-hmm. Dick Tremaine is constantly saying, <sighs> I'm just, I, I can't. I... The, the, the jack collapses at one point and Dick Tremaine is like, uh oh, maybe this kid did it. And that's Yeah, no, well little Nicky comes across to him and hugs him. Yeah. And says, you know, you know, don't don't die. Don't, you know, don't die. I hope you don't die or something. And at that point, Dick gets a worried look as he remembers that earlier on, um a particular phrase had been uttered to do with his persistent random misfortune. Yes. But Which he now thinks is due to Nikki, um, rather than just random fate. Yeah. So, and we'll get into that later on. And one of the most fucking what the fuck are we doing here in Twin Peaks stories ever? Why is David Lynch away doing something else? Get him back on the show, and someone please hand the fucking typewriter to Mark Frost. Will someone please give us Mark Frost? God damn it! We don't have Mark Frost, but how do you feel about awesome scenes with Agent Cooper talking to a military dude? I love scenes with Agent Cooper talking to anyone, but particularly when he's talking to military dudes. Awesome, because we are now at the Twin Peaks Sheriff Station. Fuck Dick Tremaine and little Nicky. They're in the rear view, buddy. And yeah. <laughs> and in the Sheriff Station, 
Agent Cooper is talking to the Colonel. Uh, yeah, Colonel I misidentified Rayleigh. Major Briggs earlier in the, uh, not today's show, but earlier in the season. I, I called him the Colonel a couple of times, sorry. Um, but uh, the Major, Major's boss, the Colonel, it turns out, um, and uh, Sheriff Truman all hanging out, uh, chit-chatting about what happened to the Major. And the Colonel's got some questions, and he's like, did you happen to, the colonel says, do you happen to see any birds or anything? And uh, Agent Cooper is like, it's funny that you mentioned that because I saw an owl. And we remember that owl, ladies and gents. That owl was there watching him pee. Yep. We called him a pervert owl. Then we also thought that maybe, maybe he was there advertising the Black Yukon Sucker Punch, which is eight inches of whoo. Oh, is it ever? Remember, mm. you can go to BlackYukonSuckerPunch.com, order yours today, forward slash DBTP. <laughs> um, get 10% off and an extra inch. And an extra inch. Woo. Yeah, you can't afford Woo! not to buy. At the... Woo! <laughs> uh, so we get to hear Agent Cooper say things like, the major revealed to me the messages about me you receive from deep space. Yeah, he's fishing. He's fishing for more answers here because he he has enough not he has enough knowledge in certain things that have been mentioned to him that he can maybe put forward that he knows a bit more than he actually does. Like Cooper doesn't know what any of it means yet, and he's kind of hoping if he puts these things out, Colonel Riley will start to piece together things. Um, the Colonel, it turns out, uh, holds his cards a bit closer to his chest. But what we do get is he says, you know, anything to do with the messages coming from from deep space. And the guy says, well, yeah, we are, you know, checking out deep space for messages. But these messages that you got, the ones that the major showed you, were, were not from deep space. No, they were they were coming from the woods, specifically this area here. Um, and so now you know. We, and down this area here, and down as an in, into the earth. Um, yeah, well, which, then, he says which they, I love. I'll... Just to get our facts straight, he says we don't know where they're being sent to. Yeah, we we'll, we'll love this, and then Cooper like says, you know, maybe it has something to do with the the White Lodge. Um, and this guy says, you know, that's classified, and we're like, oh for fuck's sake, right? And but we do get him saying, you know, like. Major Briggs or Garland Briggs is how he puts it. Garland Briggs was born with uh, is the the finest fighter pilot I've ever known. He was born with the kind of hardware most of us only dream about. Like really talking the major up, which is fair because the major is pretty awesome. He and, basically says his disappearance is you know it's not just like him that's that's interesting. But this is you know this makes the Cold War seem like a case of the sniffles. Which is not the line that I love, and no. that's about to come up. And the line that's about to come up is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> and I actually, can't wait. I'm so excited to read it out. I bet you think it's just all right. I think it's the greatest thing ever. All right. Well, we'll we'll get there. Um, but yeah. So uh, we don't really learn a ton in this scene, other than hey, the signal came from the woods. But we kind of, I don't know. I mean. We've known for a while now that there's something evil in the woods or some energy and in the woods. Something to do specifically with owls. Once again, yeah. that, that we'll come back to that. Something about owls. Um. All right. So the colonel fucks off. 
<laughs> off he fucks. Off he fucks. And now we go to uh, double in stupidity. Um, where James is sitting in the Jaguar, uh, or the Rolls Royce that he has repaired for beer in hand, beer in hand, uh, for Madame Deadtooth. <laughs> who is leaning into the car oh, like whiskey's coming at my nose, bro. <laughs> Barnes. <laughs> um. She's like pushing her tits in his face. Yeah. Uh just like, so you got everything fixed, James? And he's like, This car works now. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh and she's like, That's great. You're you're quite the handyman. You know what I mean, James? And he's like, No. And <laughs> uh finally she's like James thinks through it enough to ask, like, how come you stay with your husband when he hits you? And she's like, it's complicated. And he's like, I met your brother. (laughs) And she's like, oh, that's good. We're totally related, and he's my brother. It's not, it's totally not in question. Nothing else is happening here. Right. Don't, have you ever seen Double Indemnity, James? And he's like, no. And she's like, okay, that's perfect. <laughs> she's like, good. Yeah. Excellent. Um, <laughs> and uh the, the but then surprise, surprise, her uh her husband comes home uh kind of unexpectedly and uh interrupts a makeout session with James, which I imagine is like kissing limestone. Yeah. Um on a brick. Y- right. Some some form of hard mineral <laughs> that you you make sweet sweet tongue love to yeah and and that would be kissing James early um so yeah but I you know you'd have to be an idiot not to know what we're setting James up for here uh but it's still kind of wonderful that you know it's yeah. James she's is basically, just she's, so stupid she's basically sitting and saying come into my parlor. Mr. Fly, right. I am a spider. Or Black Widow, bo. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Yep, yep, I did it, I did it. It's me! Why are you looking at mine, too? Nothing! <laughs> it's getting a, getting a bit chilly here. One could say there's a bite in the air. <laughs> uh, well, coming up next, Duncan, is a scene we can really sink our teeth into. Uh (laughs) maybe we can get to the root of the issue oh god damn it (laughs) this show all right so bobby briggs uh is is... this next scene safe bo is it safe (laughs) oh oh that is good (laughs) remember the tooth Bite down on the tooth. Yeah, that's keeping it in the family. That's still Lynch. Um, Okay. Bobby. Bobby Briggs is strolling through the Great Northern. Swagger and he step. Yeah, feeling good. He's like, hey, I did something good over here. (laughs) Hey, yo, Mr. C. Or Mr. H. (laughs) Yo, Mr. H. 
I got some pictures <laughs> that I took with this camera you gave me over here. And it's like, are they good pictures? I'm like, yeah, exactamundo. Hey, of course they are. I took them, didn't <laughs> I, over here? Um, yeah, as he's walking past, though, the a, a sorely unseen character of late lights up my life as the delightful, delicious, and delectable Audrey Horn twirls into the scene, gleefully not a care in the world, but a bit mischievous. And um, she's like, "Oh, did you did you manage to to manage to get a, an audience with my father?" And he's like, "Yeah, you know, I'm working for him now." And she's like, "Oh, maybe you know, we should team up. Maybe we should start working together." And Bobby, being Bobby, doesn't think he, that's what she actually means. Bobby thinks that means sex, because right. we need to remember that Bobby thinks with his dick a lot. Yeah, um... and we're not talking about his tremaine. Um he thinks, you know, and he tries to kiss her. She moves away. He goes into Ben Horn's office, but Audrey Horn's smarter, bro, because she has that hidey hole in the crawl space that she can go and eavesdrop, which she duly does. Um, ben, though, is on the slippery slope and is doing that thing that, like, American presidents do and American generals. For some reason, they like to build models of great American battles. It's a weird hobby. I, I don't understand it. Well, he's wearing a Civil War jacket. Yes. And and reconstructing the Battle of Gettysburg, mm-hmm. one of the bloodiest battles in American history, by the way. Um oh. and yeah, and but the deal is he's gotten pictures of Hank with uh Jean Renault and uh Eddie and you know the the the, the Mounty. Right in the Mountie, the the usual cast of low lives that we see around Jean Renault, and uh, so Audrey is like, "Hey, now I've got some shit on both of them, mm-hmm. and and something that might get me a little closer to one agent, Eagle uh, Cooper." <laughs> and Bobby, on the other hand, is feeling good about himself because, um. Ben is incredibly pleased that he is actually, you know, boggling the mind. Bobby Briggs actually produced useful information. Yeah, something to put his mind to, and if he puts his mind to something, surprisingly, he can actually do it. Yeah, so it's, anyway, so that's going on. And Yeah, then, he basically says to him, did we agree a price? Uh, and he's like, no, and he's like, well, consider this your first raise and coming back. Come back to see me tomorrow. We'll see if we can get you on the books. Right. I'll, I will gladly pay you Tuesday for some blackmail today. Yes. Um, <laughs> and now we visit the world of See You Next Tuesday, Catherine Martell <sighs> and Pete Martell and Josie Packard, who are in a sitcom nestled yeah. within the show Twin Peaks. In yeah, which... she is now, she's now the maid. And by, by the way, Hottest fucking maid ever. Yeah, well, it's Joan Chen. She is yeah, a beautiful woman, and you put a beautiful woman in a uniform. I don't know what the secret ingredient to that is, but it works. Yeah, the hot scale goes off the roof. Yeah, it, I mean, like nurses' uniforms, maids' uniforms, uh, firefighters, Ugh. um, clerical assistants, carnies. 
surge worker. Triple amputee. <laughs> Grandmother. <laughs> Any of those. <laughs> and it inspires an almost immediate sexual response. And it doesn't yeah. hurt that at one point, see you next Tuesday, Catherine Martell actually tells her, like, put on your little cap, Josie. And oh, then she God. does. She... Yeah. And I, I I was fighting every urge to flog my penis. Yeah, it is. It's it is strangely hot. The rest of the scene, though, is Pete Martell once more acting um, uh, kind of out of character. Yeah, I don't like him anymore. I went out since that since that scene where his character showed a different side of him to to Ben Horn in prison. I literally have no interest in Pete, which is a shame because up until that point, I was a big supporter of Pete, and he's trying to be romantic. He's you know he quotes some Yates to to Catherine who could not give a fuck and then we get that little bit of comedy where he tries to quote a limerick yeah. and she cuts him off and um, then you know they, we go through this whole process of humiliating Josie and Pete it's still very much of the belief that you know all these bad things that Catherine's saying are you know are not true not not his Josie Josie wouldn't do that he wouldn't do that um, and yeah as seen as well, yeah. it's still like he still likes Josie Packard. Yeah, so, of course. Right? Why wouldn't you? And yeah, and so he's kind of he's rooting for her, but he's not sticking up for her. You know, um, it, yeah, it's it, it's kind of weak. But uh, so anyway, that's that whole scene is just a big reminder of like, hey, remember there's this dumb thing happening because in a in a little bit. See you next Tuesday. Catherine Martell is going to have a little more to do, but it, again, it's not going to be all that great. Yeah, when she walks through dressed like a seventies couch, <laughs> she does. She look, she looks like any couch in uh, like a second year college student's dorm room. <laughs> uh, not in this scene. In the scene coming up, but we'll we'll get there. Um, and all right, so let's get to uh, Agent Cooper who is dictating to Diane, which is oh, always a... we've missed this. Yeah. Uh, it, it feels like going home, Duncan. Yeah. Um, dogs oh, on so the porch. So much I want to talk about. So much I want to talk about to you about the new season, and I can't. All right. Well, we'll we're going to get there. We're only a few short weeks away from... from... <laughs> we are six weeks away from starting. That's a, a tick <laughs> of the clock, geologically speaking, Duncan. Um <laughs> So Agent Cooper is talking to Diane and he even gives her the, I hold in my hand uh, a nationally syndicated newspaper. And so he had uh, taken out an ad in the newspaper to respond to Wenda Merle, who has been leaving him, you know, the chess move messages. And uh, like this before the ad runs in the paper, he's already received the response because Wendy Merle yeah. anticipated his move in response and already played his next move. So, um, it, and he also waxes a bit poetic about, uh, like, you know, I, I just want to maybe, uh, settle down, raise a family, have a home here. Um, but he also acknowledges that it's possible that, he goes to jail. Yeah. And he, he, yeah, he's fully invested in Twin Peaks. 
Yeah, he he ain't going nowhere and uh, doesn't that want great to. Line, yeah, that great line, this bu- uh, bucolic hideaway is filled with secrets. Yeah. Uh. Once again, not the line that I like. That's coming up. All right, so Audrey knocks on the door just to remind us all, like, hey, remember when, like, Audrey would play detective with Agent Cooper and mm-hmm. there was a murder mystery and all kinds of cool shit was going on? And uh, he's like, I remember that, Audrey. What is this? And she hands him pictures in an envelope. And he has the the line like, what am I going to find in here, Audrey? And there is the somewhat implicit uh, suggestion here that maybe they're like cheesecake <laughs> shots of Audrey. Because <laughs> he's still opening it. It's like, hmm, Audrey, am I going to see your nitties? What was said here, and she's like a picture of my ham wallet. <laughs> that, what a horrible way to describe the meat whistle. Um, no, that's the, the meat locker. Yeah, what, what, what? Just go through uh, that Bloodhound Gang song. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know the one I'm talking about. Was it Foxtrot? Yeah, Foxtrot. Yeah, yeah, it's a great song. It is. Um. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Just close-ups of our gash, um, but right. that's not that's not that's not what it is, Bo. Um, it's the photos she stole from our dad. Yeah, they're all the pictures that Bobby Briggs uh, brought to Ben Horn over here, and so he. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> and Audrey's like giving him the puppy dog face. It's like, did I do good, Agent Cooper? <laughs> oh, are you gonna be a minute? <laughs> oh god. Just I found these pictures that Paul gave to my dad over here. <laughs> to paraphrase Robert Evans, the laugh stays in the podcast. Um, oh, so good, so good. <laughs> oh my god. And so she's giving him the big moony sexy face and she's like, Dad, do good, Agent Cooper? And he's like, Audrey, you did great. And then another knock comes at the door and it's Denise Bryson. And it's like, hey, that's a great new character, actually, unlike a lot of the other ones. So how cool is it to have everyone in this scene? And Audrey's reaction, which is the best, it like immediately upon meeting Denise Bryson is they let women in the bureau. Mm -hmm. And she's immediately it's like, I'm going to be a fucking FBI agent. This rocks. And so anyway, like she, she's real happy to meet, uh, agent Bryson, but, uh, also agent Cooper is like, I need you to fuck off. And, but before, <laughs> before she goes, well, cause he's like, I got agency business and 
you know, as awesome as you are, Audrey, and no one is arguing that point, then, you know, you gotta, you gotta fuck off. But before she goes, she lays one on him. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's the best. He's a lucky man. At, of course he is. Um, but he's Agent Cooper. That's not luck. That's what, that's no. what he deserves. Um, so anyway, uh, Agent Bryson and Agent Cooper are uh, <laughs> going through the pictures and he's revealing the evidence they, that they found at Dead Dog Farm. And I love the expression stepped on. Yeah. It is one of my favorite things in the world when somebody talks about drugs being stepped or stomped on. I love it so much. And and so he's like, this is the cocaine. Here's the baby laxative they were going to use to step on it. Um, and, you know, like, hey, what about this? Like, this is you need to check this cocaine against the cocaine you found in my car and if it's the same thing hey we know that that was planted by jean renault because we have pictures at dead dog farm of all these people it is quite the investigation at this yeah point. it's actually he's cool doing stuff. this on his, he's, this is i'm doing it on his downtime he's not an agent anymore he's just doing this in his downtime and I love the fact that this scene ends with uh, Denise Bryson acknowledging how hot Audrey is. Yeah, with the greatest line in Twin Peaks history. Go ahead. Right, so Cooper says, you know, like, she's like, yeah, she's like, can I, how old's that girl? And she's like, I thought you were, I thought you were a woman now. And he says, Coop, <clears throat> I may be wearing a dress, but I still put my panties on one leg at a time. It's the fucking greatest line ever. It is the greatest line ever. It makes no fucking sense. It is the greatest line ever. I may be wearing a dress, but I still put on my panties one leg at a time. Yeah. (laughs) It's fucking awesome. I mean, I think we can safely say of the the new crop of of characters that are thrown into the back end of this show, Denise Bryson is far and away. Oh, the best. Right, just always cool, like, we will get into it in the next episode, but is badass, and it's, oh, man. But like, there's, you can see why David Duchovny goes on and has a fucking great, great career, which is still ongoing now, um, in TV and movies. Naturally, just a very charismatic actor, even in a role which is, wouldn't be common for someone like him, um... And you would imagine on some level, I mean, the risk taken to play a character like this in Twin Peaks could detrimentally affect future roles. There's that danger of you like being typecast to an extent. Um, but the fact he bounced back from this right into um, the X-Files, which I did a bit of research in between the shows. Uh, X-Files debuted March 1993. So it's like he would have finished doing Twin Peaks and he would have had like about a year, and then he would have been involved with filming the X Files. So you know, not a, not a huge amount of time to go in there as a leading man. You've got to think that Twin Peaks helped that, and it's because of his character. His character is fucking amazing. It just like, and the chemistry between him and uh, Kyle McLaughlin is, you know, fantastic. Um, just a, a like a lot of fun. A, a lot of fun. Really, really, really good character. 
compared to, like you say, some of the other ones which are just shite. Right. I mean, who could possibly care about what's going on with Leo and Shelly and Bobby Briggs and all that stuff when we're dealing with like genuinely interesting, fa- like not just interesting, fascinating stuff about uh, clearing Agent Cooper. Like, like he's the main character of this show, and it just feels like we're just not with him that much anymore. Yeah, and because of all these stupid, you know, alt- alternate storylines and and subplots. For example, Duncan, uh, we get a bit at the double R with Norma and Ed, which are, in fairness, two characters I kind of like seeing talk to each other and interact with one another. Because you understand their relationship and there's some depth to it. And Plus, we've not seen Ed in a while. We haven't. And Ed and Norma have this kind of bittersweet, broken relationship. And, like... Uh, Everett McGill does a really good job, I think, in this scene of playing Ed as this guy who's like, I'm doing the right thing. I know I'm doing the right thing. But, you know, like, I think the way he puts it is, I'm living my life, Norma. I just don't like it much. Yeah. And it's it's a really nice scene. And they hold hands briefly, like she takes his hand. And um, meanwhile, Hank at the other end of the counter. Like it was stupid for her to do it because like her husband's hanging out, but you know, Hank comes out of the kitchen and, and uh, sees them making moony eyes at each other uh, over. He's already had these suspicions already. Sure. Yeah. And immediately he's just like, I guess I'm going to have to pay him a visit. (laughs) And, He's making me a cuckold. Uh, in a scene that you could only care about less uh, than the scene before it, we have Dick Tremaine showing up at the sheriff's station, not to talk to Lucy, but to talk to Deputy Andy, because he is voicing his concerns that... Um, Little Nicky might be evil. And Devil, as the word he uses. Well, and yes. And to that end, we get a quick like insert into Andy's mind. I mean, why? I mean, it's, it's like, the show. It's art. like breaking the wall of the show. We've never had anything like this in any other. And we've seen some weird things, but we've never seen like a, like a bubble above a character's head. Yeah, I mean, even Minnie Lynch holding the cream corn, yeah, is not as weird and inappropriate as like this stupid Looney Tunes gag. You know, it's almost like he's picturing Dick Tremaine as like a big ham sandwich or something. It's that like cartoony. Mm-hmm. Don't get. It. Don't understand why it's in there. Don't think it's funny. Yeah, uh, but that being said, I could go for a ham sandwich. Um, <laughs> and then we shift from that to uh, Sheriff Truman, who is there with the other Milford brother, the one who wasn't killed by sex, and uh, Dr. Hayward, who is like, look, we gave an opt- autopsy. It, it was natural causes. Like, he died 
because he was an old man and he was fucking. And that's not always the best idea. And anyway, so uh, then we have uh, Deputy Hawk. Like, you know. Finally, something to hang my hat on in this show. Um, you know, like hanging out with the widow Milford, and all the guys in the station are getting all like, "She is quite the tall drink of water, isn't she, guys?" And and she's very pretty. Don't get me wrong, but everybody kind of goes gaga over her, and then Lucy uh, sees this and is upset and that yeah of course she's upset they're all watching her and they're all like woman." right but it's not like lucy is putting it out there you know it's not like it, no but, but she, she's, she's deputy andy and De- she's the woman of the police station Bo. and now another woman's in there and she's got all the men's heads are turning that's not right especially not andy's head Right, Andy's head belongs to her. I get it. Yes. Um, I like the fact that he's pouring her a glass of milk too. Yep. You know, and she, but and she is totally the Southern Belle in this scene of just like, you guys are never going to believe what happened to little old me. <laughs> I do declare it's hot in here. Someone pour me a glass of milk, or I might get the vapors. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, let's get back to someone. It, like, this is such a mixed bag of a scene. Because we have one part awesome and one part who gives a shit. Yeah. But it's uh, Denise Bryson goes to confront Eddie. AKA, Legs and all. Yeah. Oof. Showing it off. Um, yep. You've got it flauntable. And I got to tell you, walking in heels uh, seems to be very difficult. And David Duchovny pulls it off with a plum. Like a pro. Yep. Touches up his lipstick at the table as he tells uh, Eddie, a.k.a. Norma's mom's husband. By the way, Norma's mom was M.T. Pfeffer or whatever. <laughs> the food critic who could possibly care about anything that's going on with any of these characters. M.T. Pfeffer. Yes. <laughs> that's what you called? Yes. That's right. What was it? MT, it was MT something. Anyway, doesn't matter. <laughs> it seems like a weird German ham dish. Oh, have you I've never heard of MT Schmerzenhofer? It's a, sa- it's a sausage <laughs> stuffed into another sausage yeah. and then smothered with beer cheese. Oh, give me that. MT Schmerzenhofer. <laughs> Bring me my Schmelzenpfeffer. Um, bitte I would Jones like ein Schmelzenpfeffer, please. Bitte schön. Yeah, yeah. Danke. See, so switch to German instead of French. Yeah. Bring, bring sie Schmelzenpfeffer. <laughs> bitte sie. Ein Schuldedon, bitte. Was ist das? <laughs> das ist Schmelzenpfeffer. Ich wohne in der Kino. <laughs> We're 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 gonna do the rest of the episode in German, everyone. Buckle in. I yeah. Hope I hope you know your cognates. Yes. Uh, I surely don't, bitte. Was is Twin Peaks? Twin Peaks is good. 
Uh, that's all I know. Ah, uh, all I know is uh, Holocaust and Dachau, oh. <laughs> Auschwitz. You know the usual German words that you learn in school. Uh, Feldschmerz. <laughs> That's a real word. Uh, I was. We've talked we talk about. I don't. Yeah, I was just yeah, reminding yeah. you. I didn't know if you paid attention when I talked. Yeah, Scheiße House. <laughs> He's built like a brick Scheiße House. Scheiße House. Um, sometime remind me to tell you the German poo video story. I don't think now's the time. Not the time. No, not, the time. not when we were talking about. And Germans I don't, I, I don't think our, our listeners do not want to know about how you ended up in it. Um, I wasn't so... in it. <laughs> I saw some of it, but more than I should have. <laughs> like I should have turned it off long before I did. I was just like, yeah, you... it was like seeing a train wreck. It's just like I don't understand what I'm seeing here. <laughs> yeah, it was. The, it was the deputy hawk expression when Denise Bryson walks in. It was just like, <laughs> huh. <laughs> You could hear the words "Essa de Shiza, and you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't take your eyes away from it. I at one point, I have a very distinct memory of of someone saying "Das is good," and yeah. I was like, "No, it is not good. You should not be gooding nicht, the Shiza. Nicht good, nicht good, nicht good." Um. <laughs> anyway, so Denise Bryson shrills up into the double R. And uh, shows the pictures of uh, the Dead Dog Ranch meeting with uh, with Eddie involved, and shows them to Eddie. And she's like, "Look, I need you to t- roll over on uh, on on these people." And so he does. So, like, there's an extended... yeah. Without like a second thought, he rolls quick. Well, he starts off with like the excuse of like, "I was in love. I needed some money. I did I did some stupid things." And, like, portraying himself as way more innocent than he, he certainly was. Um, although he was being blackmailed by Hank, who was like, I will tell her that you're a prisoner. I'll do it. <laughs> Don't push me. And 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 so Eddie uh, was in a bad spot, but he is not standing. I mean, no honor among thieves here. It is, no. I'm like, what do you need me to do? Although he's a little reticent to actually make the call but immediately is like you know i'm gonna i'm gonna turn over on everyone um outside a storm is raging duncan thunder and we use uh, and the lightning rolls um (laughs) right to james uh so we use that as a transition to go to double and stupidity and uh on this dark and stormy night, James is hearing Evelyn um, getting beaten by her husband. Mm-hmm. And Sloan, Malcolm Sloan, comes in <laughs> with, it's drinking it up still. Like, I have a feeling he doesn't stop much. You know what I mean? Nah. Like, Constant. Which is which is interesting, considering he's the driver. Right, well, you can't drive with all them shakes, Duncan. <laughs> You'll run, your, run yourself right off the road. It's better you get a couple of snootfuls in you. Uh, so he just comes in long enough to be like you know i thought about killing him once but i'm too much of a darn coward if only there were someone here someone who looked vaguely like zoolander someone you know stupid that might kill him oh well 
I guess I don't know anybody like that. And James is like, I'm like that. Is <laughs> someone that knows the difference between what Laura looks like and what Laura doesn't look like? Oh my God, that is me. I, I tell people <laughs> all the time, you don't look like Laura. I know what Laura looked like. And uh, he's like, huh, well, I'll keep that in my pocket for now, but you just get some sleep, James. You've got a lot of murdering. I mean, fixing cars to do. Um, so anyway, that's that whole thing. But I do, I do like the fact that we get a shot of, you know, uh, speaking of cheesecake shots, uh, James Hurley laying in bed in his white shirt as lightning flashes. Yeah. You know, just for the ladies watching Twin Peaks. Like for his. the ladies. <laughs> hey, is this is this seductive? <laughs> I don't I don't know what that means. They said look seductive. I made duck face. Uh. <laughs> and, Suck a duck face, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Seductive. <laughs> Laura, Laura would do... I would take pictures of Laura, and Laura looked more like Laura than anybody. <laughs> and she would, like, stick a list out, and she's like, I'm making duck face. So now when I get pictures, I take, I make duck face like Laura, because she looked like Laura. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, oh, we're almost finished this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're almost we're almost done. So we actually get a pretty nice scene now between Bobby Briggs and uh, his mother. And, you know, he comes in late and his mom is uh, on the couch just kind of waiting for the major to show back up. Um, and Bobby Briggs is like, he'll come home anytime over here. He always disappears and whatnots. <laughs> and uh, she's like, I don't know. This time it, it feels a little different. And he's like, hey, did I tell you he was telling me about a dream over here where I was, like, in a big house, and he came to visit, and everybody was real happy and whatnots? And I was like, hey, that's a pretty good time over here. And <laughs> and she's like, that, that's really nice, Bobby. When did you start talking like that? He's like, like, an episode over here. Um, and then... The power flashes, and there is the major. Yeah, wearing, I like. I thought he was more in camping attire when last we left him, but he looks like he, he was. was. He was fi- He looked like he was flying a nineteen forties era biplane. Yeah, the that's what he's been said. returned wearing, but that's not what he left wearing. Right. And, uh, yeah, so he shows back up and he, uh, he gives, he asks how long he's been away and she says two days and he says that he seemed much shorter to him. Um, I love this scene as well because his wife runs over to give him a hug and he starts hugging his wife and then he instantly looks at Bobby and tells him to put the cigarette out. (laughs) It's like classic major. Right. Like like, that cigarette, Bobby. Uh, Oh yeah, I know I just came back, but you know the rules (laughs) on smoking in this house? That's unacceptable. Yeah, he says to Bobby to fix him a strong cocktail. Bobby leaves the room and um, Betty asks if everything is okay. And he says, no, not exactly. And the episode's finished. Yep. Um, There is some bad kissing. 
a really bad kissing. Yeah, like the major is proficient at many things. Being a tender and giving lover uh, may not be among them. No. Um, but yeah, so the major's back. And that's totally going to pay off in the next episode and be fascinating. I sense sarcasm. Your sarcasm sense tingling is correct. Um, all right, Duncan, here's what we're going to do. We're about to launch into uh, episode 13 of season two. Uh, before we do that, let us take another question. Oh, uh, this one comes from Matt Jones. He asks, us, has James always been cool? And then he has a laughy face emoji. Um, yes, I, I wondered if there was sarcasm least in that. I assume that that is the, the sarcasm emoji. I don't know. I haven't seen the movie yet. Um, <laughs> Patrick Stewart's poo, though. Is he? Yeah, he's, he's uh, voicing Number one, shit. I'm number two. Is <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, <Mr>. Data? <laughs> Oh, Mr. Data, you've been covered in me before. <laughs> so gross. Um, it's so gross. So, yeah, it's a sarcastic question. Has James always been uh, cool? No, we made him cool on this show. Yeah. He's literally unwatchable on the on the screen without me and Bo talking about him in the way we do. And with that, he's terrible. Yeah. I... I it, it is a frustrating character and a frustrating performance, but it leans heavily into my stupid impression. So I, I think I appreciate. I that. get the, I get the feeling that like David Lynch, knowing what we know about David Lynch, um, I get the feeling that David Lynch really liked how he looked, his look more than anything else, um, and that's why he still has so much screen time. Yeah, and there is something. He's not to... really an interesting character at all, and he's he's not exactly. Pr- I mean, he there's a reason he's off in the wilderness just now with this shite sub story, and it, like we said before, it's to try and keep him on the screen. And the fact we're getting so much of him at the moment denotes that there seems to be some belief in the writing room that he should be given more time to James. Well, yeah, somebody was just like, hey, I want to do Double Indemnity. And they were like, we, I guess we could give that story to James. And they were like, fuck, are you serious? And I was <laughs> like, yeah, it's the only, only character we got that really kind of fits the bill. And they were like, all right, fine, I'll take him. And yeah. like a different character in this situation might be interesting in, or in his situation, his current situation with Evelyn and the brother. Uh, wink, wink. Um mm-hmm. It, yeah, it, he is, I, I don't know. Is he a terrible character or is it just this portrayal of the character? Maybe, I don't know. It's a weird character. I mean, it's, it's such a, it's James Dean thrust into Twin Peaks and except, you know, James Dean was kind of a great actor. This is what I'm saying is, as a look, David Lynch has selected a look for the show um, and what happens with that look is inconsequential to the look of that character in the show alright I buy that alright <laughs> Matt Jones your question has been answered uh, answered sir and I'll be gone 
Now dock at our doorway no more. Uh, I take her days off. <laughs> Duncan, episode 20 uh, of, of the series, episode 13 of season two, is entitled Checkmate. Checkmate, bull. It is directed by Todd Holland, written uh, by Harley Payton, one half of the Harley Payton Robert Ingalls team that wrote the previous episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to jump right in. Uh, we get to a great scene of the major being <laughs> seemingly questioned by Agent Cooper, or, or ultimately questioned by Agent Cooper, but it is the recollection of the major sitting on a throne in a forest as he talks about uh, seeing a, a, a great light and a dark shape in that light and then nothing. And yeah, the shape in the light, by the way, is a fidget spinner. Oh, wow, man. David Lynch <laughs> really is a visionary. Yep. Also, uh, how many months is it before we forget all about those? Um, I only had to have, I didn't know what they were up until like a week ago. And then, then since then it's everywhere, but yeah, I imagine a couple of weeks and they'll be gone. Yeah. It is the new Pokemon go. Um, yeah. So we get a symbol, uh, that is illuminated by fire, uh, and that symbol appears on the uh, on the major's neck, right behind his ear, which yeah, is he's... probably something. Like, you know, like the the major at the start here is sitting on a stone throne, um, and as he's speaking, I can only think of Vigo from Ghostbusters to um, and his big monologue of "I sat upon a throne of stone upon a river of blood." Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know the better one about. Um, so yeah, so uh, th- th- he comes out of his trance, and um, they take a photo of the back of his ear where the symbol is. And at this point, the coop starts asking him some questions. Casual coop starts firing him some questions, and the major suddenly, obviously, being through a fairly traumatic experience, decides that maybe everything shouldn't be as classified as it was before and basically starts to give away some information specifically the fact that they are involved in a little thing called project blue book which um we are told uh, is the air force investigation into ufos yeah a, um, a real thing actually that's correct yep um it happened after roswell um and that the project formally ended in 1969. However, there is a ragtag group of renegade officers that are continuing their look into it. Um, the major specifically has been looking at Twin Peaks as a source. Um, and this is where the term the White Lodge comes up. And he's like, you know, let me tell you a little something about the White Lodge. And everyone deep intake of breath let's get our, our our excitement meter this is going to be vital information that we are going to need to know this is going to move the story at breakneck speed ball you better strap yourselves in for wait a second the door goes the military police arrive and the major is ushered out thus another fantastic cock tease delivered yeah. 
I, by I, Twin Peaks. I think the gentleman who comes to collect the major is with the fun police. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is starting to get a little too good. And this is, after all, the back half of uh, Twin Peaks Season 2. Yeah. Let's not let this continue. Always long. always think that the, the fun police should be voiced by Eddie Murphy as in his uh, impressions of the police in Raw. Where it's like, ooh, pull over, pull over. Uh, right, but that, that would encourage fun as opposed yeah. to like... No, they're having out. fun. Yeah. The fun police have fun. You don't have fun. Oh, they're just police who have a good time doing it. Yeah, they're oh, okay. having the greatest time ever, but you don't have the greatest time because you're still being arrested by the police. That's not fun. Right. But they have fun. They have a good time while arresting you. Okay. Yeah. I, I would like that more than the shooty kind of police, but... Well, I'm glad I could clarify that for you. Yeah. Um, Thank you. That's kind of how the police is throughout the rest of the world, just not in the USA. Right. Um, that's little... not true. The police over here are absolutely fucking terrified. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, over here, they're kind of trigger happy, it turns out. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. We, we at least have not the concerns about that. They do carry teaser, so... so. Yeah, I'd rather get tased than shot. Um, you say that. You're tased in your genitals. Oh, I have built up quite the immunity to that. <laughs> it's like Iocane powder. My, uh, <laughs> my home-use cattle prod uh, has built up many years of resistance. I gotta buy actual cattle prods meant for cows now. Yeah? Well. It's the only way I feel anything. Anything. <laughs> Um, Anything. What one thing I really love about this scene with the major though is the the moment where he kind of has his breakdown and he's talking yeah. about like all all the experiences that he's had and he says you know but it makes you wonder is this meant for the soul is this meant for my soul mm-hmm. and it it's this great little philosophical moment which of course uh, the major is a very philosophical man. Um, and it's that kind of stuff. Like I wish fully half the episode were just that, but it doesn't turn out. That's the case. Um, cause we got a breakaway to, uh, from that to go to, uh, Ernie. I keep calling him Eddie. It's Ernie. Um, but I mean, who cares? So Ernie is uh, a little gun shy about setting up this meat. Uh, which is going to bring together, you know, theoretically Hank and Jean Renault and yada yada. So he finally sets up the uh, the meeting. All that's cool. Then we have to go to a scene between Deputy Andy and uh, Dick Tremaine again uh, because we just yeah. can't let this thing go. Um, I want this die. Uh, so Dick Tremaine shows up dressed as Dick Tracy and uh, re- <laughs> reveals... You see Dick Tracy, I see Inspector Gadget. Oh, yeah, that's probably more accurate. Um, but so he is on the, the, the path of finding out, or Dick Tremaine is, of like, who is little Nicky? What happened to him? Like, all the records are sealed, but we know that there were tragedies. Yeah. And the, uh, the writers of Twin Peaks are like, we have a huge drug sting operation about to happen. We have the mystery of the White Lodge, but there is one greater mystery that trumps them all. 
and it's a mystery of who is Little Nicky and what the fuck is going on. And I'm glad that they spend the time to go on at this moment. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put it right now. Best part of this episode is this. Oh yeah, um, you know, country it's, mile. It's the height of drama because what happens is Dick Tremaine says, "Hey, I didn't find out anything. Come with me," and then they walk off camera. That's exactly what happens. Lucy overhears them, but yeah, that's exactly what happens. Totally worthwhile scene. Yeah, edge of my seat. Can't wait to see where it goes. Uh, the one thing that we do have happen at the end of this scene is that Agent Cooper and Lucy have a brief exchange where he's had her combing like personal ads in the newspapers and and so forth, uh, so that uh, you know on, on the hunt for Wyndham Earl's next message. Yeah, and she says you know have you combed the desert? She says we ain't found shit. That's right. <laughs> and oh god. Uh, <laughs> just devolved into Spaceballs quotes. Welcome to the second half of the show. Um, uh, And, uh, all right, so over at the Double R Diner. um, Don't know if you know this, Bo, but everything that's happening now is happening now. Just. What what happened to then? We passed then. When? Now. We're at now now. When will then become now? Soon. Do you need to to take a break and just go watch the movie? I love the movie. It's all right. Yeah, I love the bit where they go so fast that they actually hit the speed of Agent Cooper's chart. Right. (laughs) They've gone to plaid. They've gone at ridiculous speed is a a pretty funny joke. Um, (laughs) Ludicrous speed. Ludicrous speed, that's what it was. (laughs) So... um, yeah, so at the double R, we just get a quick exchange between uh, Norma and Ed, and Ed uh, has slipped her a message that says, like, hey, I need to see you. And it's not the only thing he wants to slip her. Not in the least. He has <laughs> loving on his mind. And that's the the love theme <laughs> for Ed. I got loving <laughs> on my mind. Norma. Um, it's body weight that sings it. Oh, normal. I like the way you move, normal. Oh. Uh, you know you got that coffee, girl. Why don't you fill me up? Um, oh, normal. Ain't looking for nothing but sweet loving, normal. I'm big Ed. I'm in charge of a gasoline farm. And I've got... <laughs> Oh, I don't know, I don't know why. I can't get enough of your pie, babe. <laughs> That's the thing we've never spoken about on this show is the fact that it's not a gas station, it's got us a gas farm. Right. With the gas Such a trees. weird term. Yeah. Such a weird term. It's kind of like the. It's like they've kind of scrunched together two kind of kind of stalwart salt of the earth businesses together, yeah, but and I, kind of made his character like the the some sort of weird amalgamation of both that it fits. You don't question it. You hear gas farm, you're like, all right, gas station, cool, it's gas farm. Ed's in charge of it. Look at him. 
I, I feel like that is something that was... I think that's a deliberate choice. I think that's Lynch being quirky, but in a, in a really... I don't know, I just feel it's very David Lynch. Yeah, I was wondering if there had ever been... If that expression had been used before. Um, but because it, it, it feels so like weird. like what you would have called a gas station like 1948. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm going down to the gas farm, see? <laughs> the gas farm's over here. Yeah, but a quick search uh, suggests that, you know, or at least the most popular result is Big Ed's Gas Farm, which would suggest to me that that was probably a Lynchian invention. That's so, so cool. So yeah. fucking cool. It's really good. That David Lynch, he's a smart guy. Yeah, it turns out he knows what he's doing, kinda. It came to me in a dream. <laughs> I thought, hey, gas farm. I love it. Do you, do you want to elaborate on how you came up with that? No. <laughs> I said it before in the previous episode, but that is the greatest thing about David Lynch is that interview where the guy genuinely thinks he's going to get some sort of profound answer from him about it. You said that, um, you said that Eraserhead is your most religious movie. Yes. <laughs> Do you care to elaborate on it? No. Yeah. <laughs> he's a genius. You you can get away with that if you're a genius. Oh, it's just fucking brilliant. It's actually brilliant. He doesn't give a fuck. That's what I love about him. There's a certain like, there's a certain group of directors. Carpenters in that group as well of directors who just don't give a fuck. Yeah, just late... I kind of love that. And it's not an ego thing either. It's no. just they don't feel the need to have to explain what they do, which is amazing. There is no greater joy in my life. I think than hearing John Carpenter talk about movies in in like the past 10 years of his life. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Um, did we talk about the thing uh, where somebody asked him about like, you know, this new Halloween remake? And and he, they were like, well, have they talked to you? Or are, are you participating? And he was like, you know what? You know what happens every time they do this? <laughs> I sit on my couch and I hold out my hand and a check falls into it. <laughs> That's why he's one of the coolest guys on the planet. He is like he is the most like punk rock director that ever lived. In yeah, my still opinion. is. Yeah, still is. Uh, he just yeah. He punk oh, rock. A punk rock director that commanded at one point, you know, tens of millions of pounds of studio money. Yeah. Decent studios as well, you know, studio money to make his movies. I fucking love it. Yeah. But, you know, he's always kind of lived and died, though, by that middle finger held high. Yeah. And he's, 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 at, at times he was his own worst enemy. But I think he can look at himself in the mirror with no shame at all yeah well and there's also that element of even the stuff that he did that seems cynical like you know directing um geez what was the amber heard movie in the 
asylum. Uh, hey, the ward. The ward. Because it was only a couple of miles away. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, it was his heart in it? No. But he was picking up a paycheck and he was going home every night. And that was like, you're not going to get, unless Carpenter decides that he's going to make another movie, he's not going to burn those calories to no. make a, a feature film again. Because I think he's having too much fun playing the music. And yeah, well, that's what he started off doing. He was a musician first before he was a filmmaker. Right. So. And then they announced recently that he's going to co-write a sequel to Big Trouble in Little China that's going to be a comic book. Yep. And, and like, he's executively producing the new Halloween movie. Which, which seems act- the check. Yeah, but he seems... I don't think if he was just getting the check, I don't think he would have done some of the press at the start. Um, you know what I mean? He's already said that all he has to do is put his hand out and receive the check. Um, so I don't think he would have went out there and and stated it and even say in the interviews, you know, I might even be uh, tempted to score in the movie, you know, right. write a score for it. So, I mean, it shows at least a bit of interest in it, which some of those previous ones he could not give a fuck about. Oh, for so, sure. But even that so, stuff, though, the, like the the larger point being that you can criticize John Carpenter's, you know, later movies all you want. You know who doesn't give a shit? John Carpenter. Of he course. Does not care what you think about those movies. Doesn't there's care what you great, think about the early movies. Quite frankly, at this point, <laughs> there's a, there's a great um, interview with him um, during the so on the recently released uh, Blu-rays for Ghosts of Mars and Vampires over in the UK. Uh, two movies that I love by by John Carpenter. I know that you're a bit lukewarm on Ghost of Mars, um, but I, I've got. I think it's a, a fun, dumb fucking movie. Um, but there's in the he does a panel, um, and it's prior to him doing Vampires, but two years before he starts making Vampires, um, and someone asks him why he has never done a movie about vampires. And he's like that. He's like, because there's nothing left to be said. Everyone's done it. I, yeah, I wouldn't even know where to begin with it. You know, it's a, it's a, a kind of creature where it's been done to death. I have no interest, no interest at all in doing a vampire movie. And then literally <laughs> two years later, his next movie is a vampire movie. So I just, I, I love that about him. He's just like that. Obviously, he had no interest until the right set of circumstances came up. And he's like, yeah, no, I'm interested. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of like that. That's honest. You know what I mean? At that point, he could not give a fuck about vampire movies. Um, and he didn't sell out to make a vampire movie. It just a project came along that he was interested in. Went and did it. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it, oh, man. I Like, he is my hero for so many reasons. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, I, I think the, the biggest tragedy in that story is that it will literally take his death for mainstream you know, uh, mainstream outlets and mainstream award ceremonies and all the rest to finally give that man the recognition that he is more than deserved ten times over. Um, and that's that's what I'll take. Like, see, when he goes, that's, that's, that is legitimately the biggest loss uh, to the horror community, I think, ever. I, I don't think there's anyone that's is as important as John Carpenter. I think he's like, yeah, the, the, yeah. the the top there's the up there with to me there there are cer- certain voices that carry certain like parts of the genre and generationally speaking so i think obviously stephen king <laughs> you know ultimately 
is, you know, he's one that if he goes, it's, you know, it's the end of a whole era of horror, one of the most influential voices in, in the, the book world, but was one of the most influential voices in cinema, John Carpenter. So, yeah. Yeah, totally agree. Mass, massive aside uh, for, for our, our David Lynch impression, uh, yeah, <laughs> to but... do with gas farms and our singing songs, which was actually probably the best bit of this show. Um, yeah. I regret nothing to do with that at all. I think that's amazing. Uh, um, but I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll <laughs> you tell you what, what we what's that? regret. What are you saying? I said, speaking of regret, Duncan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, anyway, he passes a note over. The note says, you know, we need to talk. She's like that. I will see you later. <laughs> you know, maybe sometime. And meanwhile, Hank's being all nosy, checking out what's happening. Um, right, he's like, and yeah. hey, that's my wife again. I keep, <laughs> I keep feeling like something's going on. Um, and all right, so we you have to I, do it because you jinxed this. You said that we hadn't seen this particular character in a while, and you jinxed it. Yeah, I know, I know. So Leo and Shelley and Bobby are around the breakfast table, and Leo is once again just like spitting out all his food it's going all over shelly and shelly is uh bitching at bobby uh about the fact like it, like i have to spend all day doing this like changing his diapers and uh i assume and like feeding him and all that and cleaning up the house and bobby's like hey i got a big opportunity over here <laughs> and, <laughs> and and she's like god you know like why where are you going he's like hey i gotta go to practice and she's like but football's over with he's like hey it's baseball over here and <laughs> and he's a real jerk to her like he you give bobby a little taste of success and he immediately becomes an asshole oh yeah uh, he's he's like he's he's now he's the one he's now got an opportunity here with ben horn he's he did He's gonna skyrocket to the big time. Money's gonna start flowing, and this situation here, where he's having to look after Leo, not attractive, not attractive, not anything that's interested. I have this idea in my head now that I've made Bobby um, like that guy from Goodfellas who repeats things that he says. So yeah. That Bobby two times is gonna go, gonna get to peepers, get to peepers. <laughs> hey, now I'm getting out of here, over here, over here. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like she is not Shelley is not happy, and she slaps him in the face. Yep. Um, and that's kind of it. And then uh, he leaves. Yeah, he, he leaves, and this Off is the bugs. end of this scene. We'll come back yeah. eventually later on to something which is wholly fucking creepy. But at the moment, that's the end of that scene. Thank fuck. Yep. And so we go to uh, James, who <laughs> is calling Big Ed in my one of. This made me laugh out loud as I was yes, watching the very, episode. Yeah, very, very funny. Yeah, very, very funny. Because uh, he's like, like Big Ed picks up the phone and is like, hey, Big Ed's gas farm. And James is like, that's where I was calling. And <laughs> Big Ed. You don't sound like Laura. Yeah. You don't sound like Laura. And Big Ed's like, oh, fuck, James. Uh, I'm about to walk out the door and james is like i need some money and ed ed's like well 
I, I, you're, you've only got twelve dollars. Yeah, it's in your savings account. Yeah, he says empty my savings account. And he says, "Lad, only got twelve dollars." <laughs> but it, like the way James puts it is, I need you to get all of the money out of my savings account. And Big Ed's like, "You mean all twelve dollars?" <laughs> He's like, "I need you uh, to wire it to Geneva." <laughs> right? Are you? Are you sure you want it? You don't want to split that up a little bit? It's <laughs> oh god, it's so dumb. But Ed's like, all right, uh, you know, where do you want me to send it? And and he's like, there's a place called Wally's. And Ed's like, you want me to send it there? And James's like, it's a bar. <laughs> and he's like, well, do you want me to send the money to Wally's? The bar? And he's like, yes, the bar. There's one here called Wally's. And he's like, I'm going to send it there. Your $12. Yeah. Will be which it's gonna cost more to get the money order. <laughs> Meanwhile, while Ed's trying to rack his brains at how one individual could be so colossally fucking stupid, <laughs> um, Evelyn appears in the background and she starts to overhear the she eavesdrop. And I love this. James then tries to, in the most expertly fashion that only James could do, divert the conversation to make it sound innocent, which he doesn't do very well. Well, and she's like, tell, tell me about Twin Peaks, James. And he's like, oh, there's nothing special. It, <laughs> there was a girl. There's nothing special except me, or at least that's what my mother said. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I, there was a girl named Laura, and I thought I knew her, but I didn't know her. But she looked like Laura. <laughs> And I like people who look like Laura. And this girl easily tricked you to do things for her. Interesting. <laughs> right. Like, you felt manipulated by her, says Madame Deadtooth. And... <laughs> yeah, you you felt manipulated after the fact, though. Not during. After. Right. Excellent. <laughs> it, was only, it was only the weeks following her murder that you so realized they... that you were perhaps played as a fool. It's only after the FBI sent their best agent to investigate that you realized how much of an imbecile you'd been. Interesting. Yeah, that's good to know, James. I appreciate <laughs> you telling me uh, the story of. Oh, by the Palmer. way, let me uh, let, let me remove my sunglasses and show you my black eye. Well, th- then another line that really made me laugh. This whole scene cracked me up because he's just so stupid in this scene, but. Uh, and also, I'm all hearing this in the James voice. And oh yes, he she's like, "Well, that's horrible, James." And then he's like, "And then and then another girl died, and she looked like Laura." <laughs> and I just got on my bike and I drove. And she's just like, "Oh, I don't. I mean, he's perfect, but oh, this all this talking." And yeah, and then she does take off the uh, the sunglasses, and she's got a shiner, as the kids yes. call it. And just China, a China, China, uh, China. I love my shiner. Oh man, that tooth! It's just <laughs> the tooth is so wrong. It's so distracting. So anyway, so we leave that. <laughs> Yeah, and a scene that one could say was a villain. 
<laughs> Do you know what I mean, Freaking James? Something to fill a slot? Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> and to, to, to cap this scene off. <laughs> oh, so many dentist jokes, I'm killing myself. Um, Let's get to sexual assault, Duncan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, let's get let's get to the, the. I just get this feeling that every time Mike sees Nadine, his testicles go up inside him. Oh yeah, it's just like two raisins fleeing for cover. <laughs> um, but yeah, Nadine shows up in her cheerleader outfit at the double R, where uh, whereupon Mike Hunt is uh, eating <laughs> eating some breakfast or lunch. Who knows? And. Uh, Nadine shows up and just starts like immediately is like, Hey Mike, I'm going to put my tongue in your mouth. And then just grabs his face and he's helpless. He's like, it's like, it, it, you know, it, it's like an ape with a doll, you know, yep. he has no chance here and nobody in the diner is stepping up. Uh, nobody is like no, this young man. Don't, you don't know what happened to them. Nadine will crush them yeah well it's just you know it's cowardice is what that is um <laughs> i would love to see you say that to her face um oh god i'm i'll do whatever she asks um <laughs> she's a horrifying woman but yeah i mean she she kisses him but there's a look on his face that suggests to me that there is a little pleasure mixed in the pain mm. you know he's got that look like Oh my God! I've never been with a real woman, and she's like, yep. "That's right, a hundred percent lady." <laughs> she's a woman. W O M A N. Um, and and that's pretty much it. She just sexually assaults him, and then and then leaves, and everybody in the diner is okay with it. Nobody nobody goes to help him. They all just won't meet his eyes. It's like. <laughs> like the first couple of days in prison um meanwhile while this is all going on norma puts on her coat and she needs to leave to quote unquote run some errands um and hank looks suspicious at this what do you think hank's thinking at this point well i like the fact that his his comment is well it's a little early for errands don't you think and she's like well you know these are early morning errands i guess he's like Huh. It's a good answer. It's a good answer. I bet my wife is doing something with Big Ed. I better go find out what it is. And <laughs> uh but then we leave that scene because we're not finishing anything in this fucking episode until we get to the yeah. end. Yeah, uh, this this is a series of unfortunate broken events. Yeah. Uh Lemony Stupids. A series of un- unhurly events. Um, unhurly. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can do it too, Duncan. Yeah, a series of James Hurley events. Um, so yeah, so so Harry Truman. Yeah, speaking of sexual assault, Duncan. <laughs> yeah, because he's done a bit of that in the past. He appears because uh, his uh, his <laughs> Josie's looking fine. Meter is off the fucking chain, and he arrives, and Josie's dressed like the housemaid. And um, he basically goes in and says, you know, you can move in with me. I'll take you away from this place, away from these people. You shouldn't have to serve them. You're not their maid. You shouldn't be here. Come and live with me. Come on. Um, 
and she's having none of it. She doesn't want him to get in any danger. Basically says that she's safe where she is, and he will be safe as well. You know, I, I've called a lot of things in this episode dumb. Truly the dumbest thing that any character says in this episode is when he makes this offer to, like, you know, run away with me. And she's like, no, Harry, I'm a maid. I can't go with you. And you're like, you've been a maid for like a day and a half. Yeah. You're not a maid. <laughs> you're, you, were mar- you were married to you the man. You literally only put your hat on in the previous scene. Come on, it fuck. Yeah, it it's so stupid um and you know then uh, harry continues his assault like when he comes up behind her and she's like no harry and he's just like all hands he's an octopus yeah Um, Yeah, he's once again these sort of scenes put certain characters that you like in a different light right because i mean they've had sex before but it's always been like josie i need answers and she's like no harry let me love you and he's like, no, Josie, no. And this time he's just like, fuck all that propriety. I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna fuck you in the kitchen in your maid's outfit. How about that, Josie? And she, oh, no, I'm the maid. <laughs> I'm going to make fu- love to your woman. I'm going <laughs> to lay you down by the fire. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it, it is a frightening uh, change in Harry Truman. Um, He's a sexual predator. In this scene, he totally is. We've had back-to-back scenes where, like, a person in a position of power just manhandles someone. Yeah, uh, it's not even that though. Like in the previous episode, he was fawning all over fucking widow huge tits. Um, although yeah. they weren't all that huge, but he was like literally like pawning on like on the side of his desk, you know, with like, the high school dreamy like love heart thing like where he's blinking his eyes and one eyelid says love and the other one says you um and now all of a sudden he's like he basically three three fingers deep inside josie uh, <laughs> right before she as, knows what's happening yeah before she even knows he's just like right in there rummaging around trying <laughs> to find this change it's fucking terrible it's actually it, when i think about it now it is a crazily fucking inappropriate tone in this scene, and just a weird scene in general. Um, but we, we switch away from there, and uh, Audrey is sashaying through the hall as Audrey does looking fine. Oh, sure. um, and she sees Ben's secretary like cascading up the corridor with tears in her eyes, um, leaving uh, Ben's office. She goes in and she finds it that her dad really is crazy. <laughs> like, for, like, her dad is like going to the dark place, Bo. Um, he's fully reenacting this uh, battle of what did you say it was Gettysburg? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, there, there's a, a big speech there that's very famous. Yeah, yeah. it's probably like we we're American, so look. No, it's like four horn and seven <laughs> twin peaks ago. <laughs> our we stood on our garbage trucks and yeah, that nonsense. Yeah. All right, um, Agent Cooper set forth upon this continent. Yeah. A good show until the second <laughs> half of the second season. <laughs> it was he was Lincoln was a prophet. A lot of people don't know that, but he had the the power of second sight, Duncan. I, I love the, he has a particular speech which I actually think is is woefully uh, under examined and under publicized uh, in America. 
And it's the one where he says, the leave pink, Duncan and Bo. Oh. It says, leave Duncan and Bo. Five stars on iTunes. Rate them on iTunes or... That's what it says. Uh, you will be assassinated just as I was Yay, by John Philip well. Sousa. You should yeah, get so, uh, school credit for listening to this show. We, we you should. <laughs> we are so smart. Um, yeah, never, never take what we say and put in an answer, though. Um, so, yeah, so Audrey is clearly concerned. She thinks, you know, my future livelihood here has been pissed down the drain by my clearly insane father. So she runs off and calls her uncle. Um, and we later on find that she also calls Dr. Jacoby, um, and they're going to stage, I believe, some sort of intervention, potentially, uh, to, to bring Ben back from the brink, which was a nice use of alliteration, which I enjoyed seeing. It was well done. Thank you. <laughs> um, meanwhile, over at Big Ed's house, uh, Norma shows up, and... Ed also wastes very little time, but this seems a whole lot more consensual than the two scenes prior. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty much like, I've been missing you, Norma. And she's like, I've been missing you too, Ed. And then immediately they're just in each other's mouths. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying which parts, but it was Ooh. all of them. Oh. Yeah. He went around the world. Um, yeah. We're and- locked together like a Chinese finger trap. It does the old uh, trick in, in movies and television where you like see the woman's feet and the dress drops yep. around her feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always think that shot's really funny because, you know, the actress is like fully clothed other than this bunched up dress. It's like, okay, drop it. Um, and Or in this case, drop the dress. <laughs> no, you're a real one. Um. He's not like that. He's a very nice man. Uh, so anyway, uh, who cares? Ed, I mean, I'm I'm happy for Ed and, and Norma. Nothing really happens in the scene other than bow 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 bow. All right, and then we we go to uh, Ernie and Sheriff Truman and a uh, a certain deputy. By the name of Deputy Tom Hawk. Ka-ka! Uh and you know, then, that there. Yeah, yeah, you're a little little crunchy on that one. Um so Ernie's all sweaty, uh, because he's an old gross man. Yeah. And uh they're wiring him That's up. Why we called him Ernie Spaghetti earlier on, remember? Oh right. Yeah, because he's sweaty. Sweaty spaghetti. Sweaty spaghetti. Yeah. Mm, that's an unfortunate name. Um, <laughs> so, Dennis Bryson comes in. Or, well, no, yeah. no, no. First, Agent Cooper gets deputized by Sheriff Truman. So, he's kind of semi-official at this point. Yep. And, and I'm semi-erect watching it. Um, And then De- Agent Bryson has uh left his denise persona behind for a moment because he's going to be the posing as the the drug dealer as the the money man and needed you know dennis to show up for the day so that he was more convincing uh as a drug dealer 
looks even more effeminate dressed like a man which i love i think they play into that a bit more yeah it's like his performance is very much like i'm a woman in a man's suit yeah which i I love i love that yeah it's oh man it uh, when this show is good it's so good and and i you know i know we mentioned it in the uh in the last episode but i i continue to be surprised and and delighted by how kind of progressive this show was uh, yeah, in, um, in the portrayal I, of this character. I was, I was reading um, online uh, like after, once again, after our previous episode where we were talking about the fact that, you know, recently in the new series, and I'm not I'm really I haven't spoiled anything when I say that there, there is like a conversation from Gordon Cole where uh, like David Lynch obviously speaking through his character deliberately making the point in the show that you know he was the one that made the choice for this character to exist and how ahead of the time that was you know and how important it was as well and doing a bit of research Twin Peaks was the first TV show to have a like a transvestite character as a recurring character um, in there they would generally be like one offs um, so it was the first TV show to do that. And like we said before, the way it's handled, which is just that's who the character is and everyone accepts it, I think is pretty fucking amazing. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. And it doesn't hurt that David Duchovny is, is kind of great in this role. But Yeah. Um, all right, so they're preparing to do something awesome, so clearly we have to flee the scene quickly. Mm. And Can't enjoy yourself too much in this show. No, not, not this episode. And we have to go between dumble fuck and <laughs> dumber fuck uh as deputy andy and <laughs> dick tremaine dumble i think dumble fuck um was a gryffindor yeah well it was the porn parody of harry potter and the sorcerer's threesome the, the sorcerer's dick <laughs> yeah i boy we just those are awful awful joke names the Harry Potter universe is literally nothing but sexual innuendo. Oh fuck yeah! Like and... anything that involves wands and yeah, shit like right. that. Right, right. You know, sometimes a cigar's just a cigar, but sometimes a wand's a dick. Yep, this is true. This that was is true. That was also Abraham Lincoln who said that. Yeah. Um, God, that guy one was... of my favorite Lincoln quotes. He was again far, far ahead of his time. Um, but. <laughs> So Deputy Andy and Dick Trebane have busted up into the orphanage to try to get files on little Nicky and Inspector Gadget uh, is rifling he through the He so looks like Inspector Gadget. Now that you've said it, I can't think of anything else. It's just do 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 I hate this guy. Make it stop. Meanwhile in the background, I'll get you next time, Gadget. That's really good. I can't do that. You can't. No, You're deeper I can't. than I am. I, I, my voice is deeper, but I can't. I, I can't do that kind of scratchy sound with my my voice. Is too I did. Melodic. I did front a death metal band for several years, so that helps. Yeah, I would never be able to do that because my my voice is too sonorous. Your your voice is too sensual. It is. It's. Hey everyone. <laughs> um, 
Oh, that made me so happy. It really made me laugh. I, you know, I know you're not supposed to kind of laugh at your own jokes and whatnot, but uh, I was listening. I listened to it yesterday when I was doing editing for my show, and um, that came on, and I swear to God, I lost about five minutes. I just drifted off, like totally, like stared at a spot in the wall and just like drifted into it. And then when it finished, I was like, "What the fuck was I doing?" No, that's right, editing. Yeah, I mean, say what you will, Kenny G. Songbird is one of the great pieces of music. Uh, Editor's note, uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, check the last issue uh, at the end. Um, Where were we? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dick Tremaine. So a couple comes in while they're rifling through this, the uh, file room slash office of this orphanage. And it would have been a better joke if I gave a shit about anything that was going on in this scene. Yeah. But there is a kind of a funny moment where a couple shows up and they're like, Hey, we're here to talk about little Donnie because all children are called little, I guess, until they're 14 in the mm-hmm. twin peaks universe. Uh, and, uh, Dick Trebane is like, Oh, he died. And they're like, what? I mean, and then he ruins it by saying, saying, Oh no, I meant he was dead tired. And it's like, ah, oh, well, that's stupid. It would, it's way funnier if you just... If you just left it like that, yeah. Right. Say they're dead, and then you're done. And anyway, and that's the end of the scene. Again, I see where nothing really happens. They show... Yeah, there's a lot of these. And this episode in particular has a lot of these tiny, tiny little scenes where we're like, oh, right, and then this character does this. Next scene, and then this character does this. And then uh, continuing the trend of that, and the next scene, Donna appears because Donna's not been in this episode, and hopefully we're going to get a sizable amount of Donna, because Donna used to be one of the main characters. Remember where she was pivotal and instrumental in, in solving the crime that was her best friend, Laura's murder? I mean, we would hate to be in a position where the show would forego the best friend of the main murdered character. I mean, I would hate that, but that's exactly what happened. She arrives at Ed's house. Uh, Ed's obviously uh, entertaining a lady. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And it's then, a Norma. <laughs> Norma. Um, and so uh, he answers the door and she's asking about James. Right. Which... Donna doesn't even get in the fucking house in this episode. Like, she shows yeah. up at the door, they have a conversation, and she's gone. Never, door never shuts behind her. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, so what you get is um, you get. Like basically, she gets fobbed off, so to speak. Ed tells her, you know, James uh, is asking sorry, about money. Off. Yep. Definition, please. <laughs> fobbed off. Um, uh, Can you use it in a sentence? <laughs> yeah, she gets fobbed off. Like F-O-B-B-E-D? Fobbed? Yeah. If, okay. It's um, told something quickly and in haste to make someone stop asking questions and go away. Oh, so, like, when we're talking, you're fobbing me off? Um, no, not quite. Uh, there you go, Darren Wilson. That's what you should Photoshop. Yeah, I'm not fobbing anything. Um, there was too many flamed crotches flying around the internet for oh, my liking today. I thought too they were many. tasteful nudes. Um, well, I saw them and I thought I could make popcorn on that. Um, sure. But <laughs> there's a... Um, also, bushfires are dangerous, right? I said it. Um, <laughs> yeah, to like to fob someone off is to give them the runaround, to get rid of them. Okay, all right. 
I, I'm not familiar, but then again, uh, you know, I assume that being fobbed off is sort of the sister city to, uh, you know, being given the cold shoulder. Yes. The, the 23 skidoo is what we call that here in the States. The 23 skidlessly. Um, <laughs> so, 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 yeah, so she, she basically, in no certain terms, and reading between the lines, Ed tells her to fuck off. Tells her, you know, James is calling, he's asking for money. Uh, so he gives her the money and says, go and take it to James at his bar. Um, and she leaves. And we're kind of thinking, is this the only way Donna can get more screen time in this show is by reuniting with James? Because that doesn't sound like it's fun. She's a uh, character in search of a plot, Duncan. She's a, That's exactly what she is. Um, and Ed turns around. And enormously, you know, like, I need to go, I need to get back. Um, and she does. And Ed's in love. He's shut the door. He's, you know, let my love go. He turns around and um, your buddy's there. And, and you maybe should take the lead on this. Yeah. Uh, so uh, as soon as Norma leaves, uh, Hank has snuck in the back door, which is what I like to do. Um <laughs> And hey, Mr. Data, come and get a little Hank. Um, but yeah, so he lays one on Hank, uh, not a kiss, but a punch. Yeah, this time, oh, Ed, the things we do for love, (laughs) right? No, uh, Hank gives him a a, a big haymaker, uh, starts punching him right in the face. Yeah, it makes him a five knuckle salad. Yeah, gives him the old five knuckle shuffle. I don't wait. Is that right? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. No, what it's, the not kids say. A, it's not having a. It's not having a And, but like has him down on the ground, giving him the five knuckle shuffle. Right. And let's roll with it. Let's roll yeah, with it. All right. And uh, is like, I'm gonna five knuckle shuffle you all night long, and it keeps. <laughs> Five knuckles shuffling him, and yeah, then the door blowing his dice. I know what you're saying. <laughs> Sorry, uh, and then the door uh, flies open, surprisingly not off its hinges, um, and Norma comes in. Sw- no. Or Nadine not Norma. I'm sorry, Nadine, swinging her cheerleader bag over her head, yep. like one of those monkeys did in those old luggage commercials. <laughs> Where she's just like, and that worked really well. Oh, that went really, really, really well. It's a new dimension to this character. We're we're an ever-growing podcast, Duncan. Um, Always, always expanding into new areas of lunacy. Like there, there, there is no glass ceiling to this. So like, yeah, it's you know this bitch rise um, of the planet of the Nadines. Yeah, oh she, <laughs> oh that's a horror movie and a half. Like 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 Hank doesn't realize how much he's fucked up here. Like on a scale of one to ten, this is a twelve. Yeah, it, like at first he's just like, "Hey, lady, what are you doing?" And then <laughs> she lay, like just starts punching him. Giving him the five knuckle shuffle now, and 
Uh, he's like, hey, let go of me. You're five knuckles shuffling me like nobody's business. And, <laughs> it's a bit rough. Yeah. And, and and she five knuckle shuffles him until he's he's completely out. And uh, anyway, and then we we kind of leave that. Well, he does, does he like she tosses him through their uh, you know sort of shelves shelving. Yeah, the, and, the shelving that holds her ornaments. Yeah, the her. They're my special trinkets. And <laughs> uh. I'm really into pigs! <laughs> and apes, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so, but I think he's still knocked out, and then she just rushes over to him. And coma ape. <laughs> she's a coma ape. Oh, planet of the coma apes. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh, my God. And, uh, so anyway, like, uh, she, she's taking care of Ed now, uh, who is all knocked out. And then we got to go to another scene where Bobby Briggs and, uh, like general Beauregard Horn, um, yeah. have <laughs> like Bobby Briggs is at, in a position where he understands, I think that his opportunity is kind of a shit one at this point. Because yeah, that that window of opportunity was all pending on Ben kind of being semi sane, like really. Um, and I love this because he's basically stepped out on on Shelley, you know, and said, you know, I'm I'm you know I'm going to the big time. I don't need this. I don't need you know. I don't need Leo. I don't need you and all the rest. You know, I've got I've got a big future ahead of me. And then he realizes really, really quickly that, no, his big future is in the hands of someone who is generally gone. Um, Like, mentally, he's just not on the right planet anymore. And, yeah, he's kind of... Like, I don't know how I feel about these scenes, because, once again, it's... I quite like the character of Ben. I think he's having a lot of fun doing it, and mm-hmm. it kind of comes through. And he's one of the better character actors in here. Um, but it's just, it's like they keep pushing it to well, this insane level, like really just pushing it to, to levels where we're like, really, is that where we're going now? Well, and again, kind of nothing happens in this scene. Like, Bobby Briggs comes in, it's like, hey, you're even more crazy over here. And he's like, <laughs> I totally am. And and then Bobby Briggs leaves. Yeah, he says he has to go and speak to President Lincoln. Takes a sword off him. And says he's going away to speak to President Lincoln. Bumps into Audrey outside. Basically, tells her her father has lost it big time the, over here. The way um, he puts it is, "Hey, you just bought a ticket to Flip City over here." Over here. Over here. Um, and and that's like, when Audrey. <laughs> that's when Audrey basically says, "You know, for Uncle Jerry, he's on the next plane. He'll be back soon. Doctor Jacoby's coming over tomorrow." Um, you know, we've got to help him. And, um, yeah. Well, she says, I think he needs an injection, which yes. is something Audrey knows something about because she used oh, to yeah. get all shot up with the gank or, or the yep. skag or the yayo yep. Yep. or the booger sugar, yep. the toot snoot, yep. the clean burning propane. Yay. Drink. Drink. Um, <laughs> oh, perfect. Perfect. 
the dichotomy of this show has never been so uh, purely defined. Um, yeah, so so we think we're we're leaving the the you know the Great Western. Um, it's a Great Western, isn't it? The Great Northern. Great Northern. Sorry. Uh, um, Tombstone is a Great Western. Western I'm thinking about. <laughs> yeah, uh, we think we're leaving there, and then all of a sudden, a human couch um, <laughs> appears on the scene. Um, one of the most repulsive outfits I've ever seen, and we see. Our, our very own See You Next Tuesday, Catherine Martell appears. She walks up to go to Ben's office. You would assume, Bo, to to gloat over, I, I, you know, as a supreme victor, to gloat over the 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 mess that is now her her worthy adversary. Yeah, uh, because that's real See You Next Tuesday territory. Oh yes. Um, but instead, seeing you know her former lover. Uh, amongst his models and tea lights, um, it feels some compassion mm-hmm. for him, which is what she should feel for her husband, Pete Martell, who has been driven to the dark side by her. <laughs> Let the hate flow through you. It's one of the greatest things we ever did was decide that David Lynch should have been the emperor. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and that's kind of the whole scene. Again, a scene where nothing really happens other, I mean, I guess we, we have the emotional journey in the scene where we understand that Catherine Martell, see you next Tuesday, Catherine Martell is, um, you know, still has feelings for Ben. Yeah. But that's it. Kind of. Yeah. That's that's all we're getting from this scene. Um, so let's let's pick up the pace, ball. Let's pick up the pace. Let's yeah, go yeah. to something infinitely more interesting with characters that are fully developed, worldly, have a an excellent range in vocabulary. Um, let's go to James, yep. who, uh, yeah, is blindfolded Evelyn, uh, and he takes a blindfold off as he's holding the champagne to her brand new fixed car. But she seems to have actually done a very good job on. Let's give him his credit. The guy is dumber than a bag of dead kittens. But the guy can fucking fix a car. Well, the uh, it turns out that the only damage was really just a bad tire. Um, right, but just the guy can a fix four, a car. Four and a half days to do it. Yeah, but Dick Tremaine can change a tire. James can. Yeah, and and Dick Tremaine had the benefit of a book. Not that would have helped James. Um, yeah, James can't read. No, um, I like pictures. <laughs> so, yeah, so he's surprising her with the um, uh, the the fixed car, and they're drinking champagne. And this is the point, man. Oh my god! Again, one of those scenes where I just start cracking up. Because one of the things she says, they're like doing a little flirty talk, you know. She's like, "Oh, James," and he's like, "Oh, Madam De- Dead Tooth." Um, uh, <laughs> I sorry, I suddenly had the image of the Deadpool movie with her in it, um, uh-huh. except it would be called Dead Tooth. Um, but she actually says to him as they're kind of doing the flirty talk, she goes. James, I look at you, and I know exactly what you're thinking. <laughs> yeah, you don't look like Laura. Everyone knows that. Right. Well, and or just nothing. Yeah. 
And but James kind of gets like coy and kind of like jokey about it. He's like, I guess I better be careful what I'm thinking then, huh? And yeah. she's he's, like, He's yeah. got the Homer voice in his head that's going, Eat the pudding, eat the pudding, eat the pudding. Right. Look, Brain, I don't like me. Or, or, I don't like you and you don't like me. But just get me through this. I'll promise I'll go back to killing you with beer. Um, so she she takes a spot on the car where she's kind of, you know, doing the open leg thing a little bit where she's giving him a glimpse of thigh. And he's just like, your tooth. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, what about my leg? Can you see up up my dress a little, James? Your tooth is weird. <laughs> and finally, uh, they they get down to some good old yeah. fashioned Jameson. Yeah, and Malcolm Sloan is watching them at. It. Yes, Sloan, Malcolm kinda, Sloan, um, kind of gross. Yeah, is watching them, and kind of as he turns away, he gives a little bit of a smile, as if to suggest, yeah. "I like to watch." Uh, so, <laughs> so he's a little bit uh, like Stephen Baldwin from uh, Sliver. I like to watch, or. This is going exactly according to plan. I like to think it's the second, but now that you've said that, I'm going to go up with the first. Yeah, that he he is in fact uh, a Stephen Baldwin from Sliver yep. Protege. Uh, or I like to watch you fuck. God, that movie is awful. Um, <laughs> but then oh, again, yeah. so is James in this whole storyline. Let's 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 legitimately bring Get in some a good shit. Yeah, let's let's do shit. let's let's do what we actually fucking want from this show, which is I don't know, follow Agent Cooper, maybe. Um and let's let's see where this story leads us because it's sting time and I'm not talking about, you know, every little thing you do is magic. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a drug sting. Oh, Duncan, if I've been to one drug sting, I've been to a million. You've been uh, at them all. Uh just I mean when work allows, sure. Uh, yeah, you wrote the fucking book on it. Oh, I Bo's did. Bo's big book of drug stings. Yep, drug stings for dummies. Yeah, uh, a dummy. And <laughs> so we've got Deputy Hawk. <laughs> Brought him back. Yep, he's on. Uh, he's on the radio, like listening to the wire and and all that uh, uh, that kind of stuff and. Um, Agent Cooper and Sheriff Truman are all, you know, kind of, uh, squatted down on the edge of the road, binocs on, watching the, the doings inside and things go south, Duncan, as they do in drug stings. Yeah. Never, never one, not one. This is true. Not one successful drug sting has ever taken place. Well, you wrote the book in it, so I believe you. Yep. Yeah. So kids, again, tell your AP history teacher to give you a credit for that. Um, so they're they're checking things out and things are, are are getting dicey inside and the next thing you know uh the Jean Renault has a gun to Agent Bryson's head and Cooper Agent Cooper man that he is stands up straight and tall and says Jean Renault you're here for me you let them go and I'll come with you. What a guy. What a guy. 
Yeah, and John Renault's just like, ho, 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 that sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> Sacre bleu. Zoot the Lord, that was surprising, no? Uh, I'm, I'm like, this scene's amazing. Let's keep going with it. And it's like, nope, let's go back to James. Right, because uh, Madame Deadtooth is slipping out of his single bed, by the way. Yeah. W- way to treat her like a lady, James. Yeah. Um, Do you have enough room? Doesn't matter. There is no room. <laughs> it's a small bed. I'm going to be on top of you, and then I'm going to make sex. <laughs> Make the sex. Yeah, and she's like, ugh, all right. There is absolutely no uh, ulterior motive for me being with such a stupid, stupid man in such a small, small bed uh, other than love. So, uh, yeah, but she slips right out of that bedroom um, like you would. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is Sloan, Malcolm Sloan, waiting for her at the top of the stairs. And he's like, so how's he? And he's he's a little handsy for a brother here, Duncan. Yeah, I, I'm going to say that maybe not a brother. Yeah, because they end up making out. And it's weird. Like, here's the thing I don't under, understand about murder plots between, like, lovers setting up a patsy. You've got to be pretty okay with your, you know, femme fatale partner doing a lot of fucking of another guy. And I don't think I can make that leap. I think this is why I would be terrible in this kind of scheme. Too jealous. I'm too too clingy. Mm-hmm. Just making a point. I think it's a valid point. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> moving on. Uh, moving but on. Who cares about any of this? I'll tell you what I do care about. Uh, it, it's worth pointing out, though, that as, as the scene fades, she does have a look on her face that suggests that maybe she's fallen for James a little, which would be a yeah. horrible mistake and completely unexplainable. Yeah, you are so close to your your dream of being a rich bitch, your your Sloan boyfriend. You know, let's not deviate from the plan. Let's not let a crazy thing called love destroy it because trust me you think you love him you think his character is deep he is very very deep because there's fucking nothing in there (laughs) yeah (laughs) he's very zen there is no future there is no past there is only the present and things that do or do not look like laura yes that is that is james that is james fucking psychological profile um so let's say let's move back once again to the story of the day which is back at dead dog farm bowl yeah, this is all pretty good stuff. Um, we have uh, Agent Cooper is being held at gunpoint. There's a little dissension in the ranks inside, as as happens with criminals. Duncan, they just never get along like you think they would. Um, yeah. I saw that in the documentary Reservoir Dogs. And... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't believe she shot me, Larry. Um <laughs> uh but agent cooper uh is uh is like well what are you gonna do because you think they're gonna let you out of here no they're they're not gonna let you run the best bet you have is to surrender and jean renault is like oh oh, oh, that's a pretty good idea now the only question do we kill you before we surrender 
and <laughs> and, and Agent Cooper is like, uh, don't. And he's like, I don't know yet. Um, and then, uh, and they have a discussion about like, why, you know, Agent, it, it's actually kind of a nice moment where Agent Cooper is like, why do you want to kill me anyway? And John Renault is just like, hey, you know, two of my brothers are dead and it all happened when you came to town. You know, Which like, is fair. yeah, like there was a murder of a young pretty girl. You came here and suddenly everything blew the fuck up in Twin Peaks. And he's like, if I kill you, maybe everyone will go back to ignoring all the dark shit. And that's kind of the implication, right? Is that by the investigation of Agent Cooper, all of the secrets of Twin Peaks were coming to the surface and people were having yeah. to deal with them as opposed to let them stay buried. And and that's kind of Jean Renault's over overall plan is I'm going to kill Agent Cooper and then people like once he's gone, maybe people will get back to kind of turning a blind eye. Um, and I think it's a pretty good like villain argument of, you know, you, you fucked yeah, up my life. You've got, yes, it helps when you've got someone, the quality of Michael Parks delivering the lines, even if it isn't a silly accent, it's still a great scene. Um, but as very quickly about to, be overshadowed by the greatest scene of this episode, which is as they look out, they see a, a large waitress? lady. Yeah, waitress, and one of the double R uniforms with a tray of food, um, walking up, <laughs> walking up to the door, and obviously the Mountie is like, "What the fuck is going on here? Let's not have this person walking up here." And um, John Renault's like, "You know all this." All this kind of drug smuggling and hostage taking kind of made me a little hungry. I don't know, you I could go a sandwich or like a, a slice of pie or something. Um, so they allow. Uh, the well, they let her in, in because, as Jean Renault says, it's just a woman. It's which just is a woman. Kind of a nice but, irony. But we know it's not just a woman. It's Denise. Yep. Uh, who Show, showing off a little <laughs> leg again. Yeah, she winks at Cooper. Cooper. Lily looks up. She starts to reveal the the, the lacy undergarments uh, as she's lifting up her skirt. And there is also a gun, which Cooper grabs and he shoots Jean Renault, who hides around the corner, then comes back around that corner and falls over dead. Um, and Denise, in the meantime, beats the shit out of the Mountie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she fucking throws down solidly, uh, which I think is fucking amazing. Denise Bryson, MVP of the episode, took one guy out single-handedly and delivered the gun that allowed Agent Cooper to kill Jean Renault. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and has the the wherewithal when uh, uh, Agent Cooper is like, "You saved my life," uh, has the the wherewithal to quip and be like, "It's just my legs." Yeah, it's I also cool, like dude. the fact. Yeah, she gets she gives full credit where credit's due to the uh-huh. person that come up with the idea. She says, "You know." Harry Truman's the one that said it would be a good idea. Um, and, you know, Coop, like, nudges Truman's Harry Truman. Um, and this is a great scene. And this is where this episode should finish. It, or it should jump to the last scene. It should not go where it's about to go. Yeah, it 
it should have ended here, but if you weren't going to end on a cliffhanger, this isn't the one. Yeah. Um, but at any rate, so we're we're in the Johnson household, and yeah. it's storming outside. It's a, a, a again a dark and stormy night. Um, Shelly Johnson is uh, the power's flickering. She's hearing uh, an odd sound, and uh, goes over to Leo's bed. And finds a clown, uh, like a, a, a sound playing clown, laying in the in the bed, and she's like, "Bobby, this isn't funny." And then goes to Leo's rickety ass wheelchair, and it's like, "Hey, he ain't in the wheelchair." And then she turns around, and there is Leo, his face covered in birthday cake, because yeah. apparently he's having a flashback to the first day or whatever and made himself a cake so he could cover his face in it and remind them of the humiliation he had to endure. anyway doesn't matter um yeah and he, he just says shelly though yeah and she lets out an ear piercing scream and you know part of me is like i don't end the episode there but we don't end the episode there we have one scene left and i think if you weren't going to finish it off with Agent Bryson doing what Agent Bryson do. Um, then finish off with this scene because this is, once again, this is the part of the story that is really fucking interesting. We've yep. now closed out the Jean Renault chapter, but we know that Cooper still has business. Business in the building. And that business is under the name of Wyndham Errol. Indeed it is, Duncan. Uh, I, I felt like we were throwing to a, a little word on the street, like, yeah, here we are at the uh, Twin Peaks Sheriff's Station, Duncan. Uh, it's a real mess down here. Uh, uh, power's out. Piers Windermere has snuck in at some point and left a, a body in Sheriff Truman's office. Uh, the body, Duncan, is uh, unidentified as of now. Uh, and it was uh, arranged by the killer, Duncan. Arranged in a way to strike terror into the hearts of those who saw it and to... Uh, point mysteriously towards a chessboard where it appears moves have been made. Uh, back to you, Duncan. Thank you very much for that report, uh, Mr. Bo Ransdell. And now, Sally, the weather. I'm cold! <laughs> that's not Sally, that's Nadine! <laughs> <laughs> it's coma 8, Nadine. Uh, so, so, yeah. Um, and scene. Okay. <laughs> So the, the body the body is of an unidentified male at the moment who's blind in one eye, who looks like he's been tortured, and there is a lot of symbolism here. His fingers are his finger in one hand is pointing to a chessboard uh, with a move, but there's also like a fucking decapitated animal head beside him, which may be taxidermy, I don't know. Um and everything's set out deliberately. Um and uh, yeah, that's where we finish the episode. So the long-awaited next move by Wyndham Earl has been played. Yep. Uh, that's a, the back end of this episode, other than the Shelley and Leo stuff, is really good. Yeah, the stuff with Agent Kippur. The stuff we want. Um. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it's it like again it's the frustration of this part of season two it's there is some really really cool stuff 
and then there's a lot of those garbage B plots that you just don't care about. Um, yeah. they're just not interesting or surprising enough. Like this whole thing with Leo and Shelly, you know, surprise Leo's awake. It's like, well, of, of course he is. We've seen his finger move in, you know, four goddamn episodes at this point. Yeah. And, uh, the stuff with, uh, see you next Tuesday, Catherine Martell and Ben Horn. It, like you said, it's kind of fun to see Ben Horn going crazy, but who cares about the relationship? Like this storyline should be dead and buried. Uh. Pretty much. Yeah. Couldn't agree anymore. I'm cranky. Um, <laughs> any any final thoughts on on this episode as we wrap it up, or this pair of episodes? Uh, um, I, yeah. So essentially, that this is us now written out the Jean Renault side of things, which has been a, an interesting little story arc. I, I kind of enjoyed that. I don't think they played it necessarily as well as it could have. I would have liked a bit more Jean Renault um, and less of other characters. But it's kind of cool. I like how Twin Peaks has this in the writing. They have a very final stamp on you know, a character either leaves not to come back or, you know, they die. And that's how you know that's the end of that story. The Windermerrill stuff is the interesting part of this, along with the where's the major? When's the major coming back? We need some information. He was going to give us some information. So that side of things really interesting. Everything else in the show is really just padding at the moment um and unfortunately we're in a position where that pattern will continue um but yeah we are mere episodes away before the introduction of a very important character in the in the in the story and then the 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 push towards the the very end of the season with one of the most debated um season finales in television history yeah so yeah yeah, so we we are we are getting there the the end is as like as bo said next time he opens his sheet of shows uh he will be able to see the last episode in season two so uh we are getting there um but just got to bear with us folks just bear with us and saying that i think this is probably one of my favorite episodes we've ever recorded and i'm not just saying that because i am totally sleep deprived i think I think we had a new high on this one, Bo, and I want to say, well done, sir. Uh, that statement you made right at the start when you said this show's good, you were not lying. Uh, you know, in true uh, Denise Bryson fashion, the idea, Duncan, was all yours. Um, oh. I, I just have the legs. Um, you do have the legs, and you know how to use them. Um, all right. <laughs> we have Before we wrap things up, Duncan, we have one final question, and finally... It is uh, a question from Court Besiops. Thank goodness he oh. wrote in. Um, I, I, I mean, I was hoping that you know, I was one. I was concerned that we hadn't heard from him since the beginning of the show three and a half hours ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> Court a- asks us, uh, "Who who would you want to carry you off to conquer you with violent sex?" Coma ape Nadine. He didn't say coma ape, but he said Nadine, and we've established Nadine's a coma ape. Um, coma ape Nadine or Denise? Uh, Denise. Yeah, I mean, a uh, uh, hundred times out of a hundred. Yeah. Not fucking weird, though. I mean, Denise, every single time. David the Coffney and Drag is hot as fuck. Um, I mean, yeah, no qualms about it. At, you know, at the very least, it's going to be, well, he did say violent, but I, I just feel like Denise is going to be a little more tender. Yeah, she's got handcuffs. 
Plus, it you know, if we go with traditional sexual roles, you would be the inserter, not the insertee. This is true. With, with Denise. Nice please. So it nice would just be please. just good old fashioned sex. Yeah. And yeah. honestly, if Denise takes me up the pooper, so be it. Uh, See, Bo has thought about this a lot more than I did, and I agree and stand by his comments. Mr. Mr. Pisiops, I hope we've answered your questions on this show to your satisfaction. And yeah. If not, no refunds. No backsies. No, no backsies. Yeah. Twin Peaksies, no backsies. Uh, that is uh, well established in um, the Bible. Um, <laughs> listeners. Thank you once more for taking this uh, fantastic voyage, ride, ride, slippity slide, um, through. God, I can't get to the end of the episode without just being even dumber than we've been the rest of the episode. I know, I know. It's a, in fairness, Twin Peaks episode-wise, um, this week our listeners will have had six hours of us talking about Twin Peaks. And if you fling in some Devour the Podcast in there as well, that means this week they will have had 10 hours of podcast of me and you being on the same show. Oh, man. So. Yeah, if you listen to all of that, um, I mean, thank you. Uh, also, drop me a line let me know why. Uh, I'm curious. <laughs> genuinely curious. Why would you do that to yourself? Um, not, not so much for uh, Duncan. I get that. I listen to a lot of Duncan shows, but for fuck's sake. Um, at any rate, uh, thank you very much. And as, as Duncan has been coyly, uh, suggesting, if you would, uh, drop over to, uh, your iTunes or your, uh, podcast provider of choice, uh, leave us a rating, uh, and review or review, uh, or both do what you want. Um, I almost went into digital underground just then. That's how bad this show's yep. getting. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so do all that stuff. And, and more importantly, if you think somebody, like if somebody's getting into Twin Peaks or if you think they would just enjoy the kind of nonsense that we kind of get up to on this show, uh, then let them know. Like, uh, recommend the show to to a friend. That's honestly, th that is honestly the best way that more people would listen to this. And, and maybe you think that's not a, the right thing. And I get that. Um, yeah there is an element of protection. Like, I'm not saying suggest it to family members and people you care about. No one underage. No, absolutely not. We do not need minors. I don't need that kind of legal trouble. Um, so yeah, but, th but thank you again, sincerely for listening and for like all the, like, uh, Darren and all the, the Photoshopping he does is, is wonderful. And, um, and sometimes disturbing and, and just all the people like, kind of reciting our jokes back to us it, that that's super surreal um and and kind of wonderful so uh so thank you very much again and uh be sure to check out everything on legionpodcasts.com uh and one more thing before i kick it over to duncan um that we're going to be starting a new show exclusive to the legion podcasts uh, uh podcast feed um which as of right now is ten tentatively called uh, the Legion podcast horror hangover mm. and, and it will be uh, myself and a couple of other hosts on the network, kind of a rotating uh, series of hosts uh, and just talking about a, a couple of movies and some news and um, also just kind of what's going on on their shows. 
because uh, we have Duncan at last count, and I counted today. Uh, there are 4,300 shows, separate Jesus. shows on the Legion Podcast Network. Um, and uh, I can't keep up with all of those. So I have to, like, this is my way of just getting the host to come on and just be able to, like, tell me what they're doing because I can't keep up with it all. Um, so, yeah, so that'll be dropping this Saturday, uh, June 16th. And if you're listening to this after June 16th, um, then there's maybe a bunch of them. I don't know. Maybe maybe you're an alien hearing this in some sort of archive, uh, in which case uh, leave us a rating, I guess. Always leave a rating. Always leave a rating. Uh, Duncan, what about you? Where can people find you and, and, and what you got coming up? A podcast Under the Stairs is a place to check me out. Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast or tputzcast.com. Um, we just dropped a solo commentary for the 1985 Lamberto Bava movie, Demons. Um, one of my favourite 1980s movies. I think it's, it's so much fun, so bitching, so rad. Special effects are phenomenal, and the dubbing is shite. Um, so <laughs> all the more reason to check it out. Um, we have coming up, um, a challenge teapots episode where my uh, listeners have been away doing this month's challenge and submitting reviews. They were to pick a director, preferably a master of horror, but pick a director and review their best movie and their worst movie and explain why they think the best movie is the best and maybe what went wrong with the worst. Um, so that'll be dropping real soon. And the first episode of my kind of brand new subset in teapots which is the franchise roulette russian roulette uh which will be hellraiser bo will be on that first episode as well you're reviewing uh with me hellraiser 3 which will be fun um so <laughs> uh, it's yeah. gonna be 12 and a half hours on hellraiser uh, 3 prepare prepare yourselves yeah, so um, that first episode will cover the first three in the franchise, though, and some great guests on that first one. Doug Tilly on uh, Hellraiser, Court Psyops um, on Hellraiser 2, and Bo Ranstall on Hellraiser 3. So that will also be dropping next week, so two episodes of Teapots next week. Awesome. All right, um, all that is left is for me to thank you, the listeners, once more. We will be back uh, very, very soon. Uh, with another uh, Twin Peaks twofer as we uh, cover episodes 14 and 15 of season two on the next episode. Uh, until then, uh, have a wonderful time. Be good to one another. Uh, give each other massages. Um, hold hands. Um, maybe, uh, maybe a little over the clothes humping. Nothing more than that, though. Uh, (laughs) all right enough stupidity we'll see you next time say good night duncan oh good night i'm sitting under the stairs and podcasting with boo normal (laughs) i'm gonna eat your pie is that two on the nose (laughs) it's a bet it's a yeah it's like that I can't wait to eat you out, yeah. <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa. I feel like what? I feel like you went further than I did the wrong direction. I think it's fine to say the words cunnilingus. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> it's just hard to rhyme. Oh! 